what do you remember when you first met Ringo? We first met Ringo by seeing him playing in Hamburg. Yeah. He was kind of suave. He was more grown up. Yeah. I mean, he always was the oldest in the Beatles and still is. Because <laughs> he'd been working professionally before we had. Mm. We were kind of much more amateur than Ringo was. Mm -hmm. He had like a big car. None of us had cars. And Ringo's great thing, <laughs> he's so suave. He would light, if he was with a girl, he would light two cigarettes. <laughs> like Humphrey Bogart. <laughs> He'd seen it in the films, yes. you know. <laughs> the drink he had was bourbon and seven. We didn't know what that was. We could get it at the bar, so we all started drinking bourbon and seven. He went back to Liverpool and said, bourbon and seven, please. They said, what? What are you talking about? What's that? And he didn't have bourbon and he didn't have seven. So we became Scotch and Coke. Uh. There was one thing we were particularly impressed with, which was the drum part to What Did I Say, the Ray Charles record that I loved. Doing that in Hamburg with Rory Storm and the Hurricanes. Mm. And it was like, wow, he's really good. And so we admired him and we'd go around to watch them um, just to hear him. So that was it, we knew him from Hamburg. And once our then drummer, Pete, didn't show up and Ringo sat in for him, I so clearly remember me, John and George, but as the front line, standing in the line at the front mm -hmm. on three mics mm -hmm. and this guy behind us. And when he kicked in the drums, it was like... One of the things I noticed in listening to the tracks is that sometimes the songs will start as a... a a folk song or a ballad, yeah. and then he, the rhythm section comes in, and the rhythm section is thinking something completely different yeah. than that, mm. and it changes the whole picture fast. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, you say, you know, you bring the song in, you kick it around. Yeah. And then if someone gets an idea, oh, why don't we do that? Or how about this on the drums? Or Ringo, like on a song like Get Back, we're just kicking it around as a little jam. And then he gets on the drums. He's got this little kind of almost military thing going. Well, that really then, oh, great, different. Absolutely. As you know, instead of just dot, 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 then somebody else needs to fill in. Yeah. What are doing? Made a world of difference. Welcome to Paul or Nothing, the place to get all of your Paul all of the time. Join me, your host, Sam Wiles, as we discover the history, the music, and the man behind it all, Paul McCartney. To get in contact with the show, email us at paulmccartneypod at gmail.com. Hello, 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 goodbye, 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 and welcome to another episode of Paul or Nothing, the place to get all of your Paul all of the time. All of the time. And remember, folks... This is widescreen podcasting. This is widescreen podcasting. I am, of course, your host, Sam Wiles. Thank you all for tuning in, and I hope you're all well, safe, and sound. On this truly glorious day, everyone, we are here to commemorate one of the most illustrious and quote-unquote fruitful collaborations between Paul McCartney and one of his oldest friends. Of course, we've already talked about A Toot and a Snort, the only post-Beatles album to feature both Paul and John. And my previous sentence definitely points to the fact that we're not going to be talking about George. Covered George Martin quite a lot as well, that we need to do a George Martin solo episode at some point. But no, we can only be talking about one other person, everyone. And that is, of course, 
one Richard Starkey, a.k.a. Richie, a.k.a. Ringo Starr. Yes, my dear friends, we are going to be discussing about the post-breakup solo collaborative efforts between Paul and Ringo. And this is a relationship that has produced a surprising amount of content over the years. They may not have worked terribly consistently, but they certainly did enough on and off over the years to make a substantial amount of music, enough so for an episode the length of which you've probably just checked now. Some of it I had heard before, some of it I had not. I'm sure the same is true for many of you listening right now. But yeah, I thought it was about time for me to fill in the blanks of this part of McCartney's career. I'm going to start another side series soon where I'm going to be talking about all of the songs Paul either collaborated on or gave away to other artists. And I thought this would be the best way to ease myself into that concept. However, I was not going to do this alone. And who better to help me with this endeavour than the host of the truly excellent Ringo Rama podcast, Lucas Hammer. I've wanted to have Lucas on the podcast proper ever since we did an episode of Macca in Your Attic together. He's a toppermost lad, and like so many of the other younguns who now make me feel like an old man, he is incredibly knowledgeable and well-read. Shockingly so. Of course, I tried to hold the fact that he's a Ringo fan against him, and he certainly had a thing or two to tell me about his subject matter, along with all the classic, obscure, near-useless information surrounding it. We had a great time, and I'm glad to bring this episode to you all now. Not going to lie, it was weird doing such a long episode again, a classically long Paul or Nothing episode. And since it was recorded rather late at night, we do start to flag towards the end... And I just wanted to mention that apologetically because I don't want anyone thinking that it's because I didn't enjoy talking Ringo. He's a Beatle. I love the Beatle. I love Ringo. Ergo. But, as always, before we crack on with any of that, we must first deal with the... Housekeeping! Starting off, what do we have in terms of news for today? Well, of course, the big one, Paul McCartney turned 80 years old. Yes, folks. On June 18th, Alan Macca turned the big 8-0. Congratulations to him. Many happy returns. Today it's your birthday. Well, it's my birthday to you. You know, all of that jazz. I know some of you are probably wondering why I didn't do an episode commemorating it. To me, it's more just a news item at the, at the head of a podcast, you know. I know a lot of people might be doing like, you know, top 80 this, top 80 that as like a nice little format or whatever, but I've been working on quite a few episodes at the moment. We've got Driving Rain coming up. I thought I'd just focus on all of that, but hey, maybe I'll do that as part of my next uh, like Patreon exclusive episode or something like that. We also had Record Store Day around this time, aka Women and Wives Day, the day when the Women and Wives... Um, big 12-inch single came out, 3,000 copies were made or something like that, A-side you got Women and Wives, B-side you got the St. Vincent Women and Wives as well. Sadly, um, I was working that whole day, it was my last day before a, a brief week holiday that I've had, and I went to three or four record stores in Birmingham the day after, and yeah, no one had any. Guess the plan is just to wait until it all comes down on eBay. You know, I remember when, like, in a hurry, that exclusive Egypt Station single was going for hundreds of pounds when that first came out, and now it's 
far more reasonable. I will be doing the same with women and wives. Though if anyone's got a spare one, you know, for a spare one that they've got lying around, hey, hit me up. Speaking of spending money on vinyl, we've also had the announcement of the McCartney 123 box set. Yes, I think we all knew something like this was going to happen even back when McCartney 3 was originally announced. This is a box set which either has three CDs, three black vinyl or three coloured vinyl that celebrates the journey that is McCartney 1, 2 and 3 spanning from all the way back in 1970 to 1980 and right up to 2020. I know a lot of people out there were kind of upset and annoyed that it wasn't the announcement of another archive collection box set but don't worry I'm sure one or two are going to be announced very shortly I feel like this is more of just a little puff piece to celebrate those three albums and get a collection together it's another great excuse for me to get yet another copy of McCartney 1 and McCartney 3 and my second copy of McCartney 2 actually so it'll be nice to have that on a, a, a nicer pressing I don't know if they are any higher quality we will have to see but yes I did immediately dip into the Patreon funds and get the colour vinyl box. I just had to, folks. I just had to. I'm very much looking forward to this. It'll be definitely fun to have as part of my collection. I'm sorry if you'd rather me have waited to spend the money on a London Town back to the egg box set, but I'll be doing that anyway. Of course, Macca has finished his Got Back tour. That American leg has now finally come to pass. Uh, for his last show, actually, for his latest show, Bruce Springsteen came on stage. Uh, many thanks to my patron, Lou DiLonardo, for sending in great photos of that moment. I guess, you know, when you don't have Ringo about, you get Bruce Springsteen on instead uh, for a wonderful rendition of Glory Days. Let's just hear a quick clip of that now. So yeah, that was taken from the MetLife Stadium show on the 16th of June in New Jersey. That must have been a real treat for the locals there. Not only do they get to see Macca, but they also get to see their own local hero. All great fun. Of course, now that that tour is over, Paul is set to play Glastonbury tomorrow. Um, this is being recorded on Friday the 24th. Paul is performing on the 25th. And, yeah, we're, we're all waiting with tender hooks to see how that goes down. There's been a lot of talk about Paul and his voice and the band and whether he should still be touring. That's all been mostly kept insular within the Beatle fandom. Now this is Paul putting himself out there at 80 years old, 
for the wider world, for the normies, shall we say. So it's definitely going to be interesting to see the discourse in the media over the next few days about that. Of course, to celebrate, I'm going to be doing a live Glastonbury review episode. Um, Fortunately, all of my friends are either at a wedding or seeing their significant others. So I'm going to be free that night doing a live report as it is happening. Of course, he's set to be on at like nine o'clock or something on the stage on Saturday. And it starts being broadcast around 10 o'clock that night. So, yeah, if you want to stay up with me, let's watch some Glastonbury together. I've never really done a live episode like this before. So, yeah, let's see what a Paul or Nothing proper live episode reacting stuff as it happens is like. That'll be out very shortly after. Also, speaking of Glastonbury, Paul uh, just, I think it was like yesterday or the day before, announced an extra performance date, and that is taking place today, uh, the, the day of recording on Friday the 24th, and it's the day before his Glastonbury performance. It's taking place at the Cheese and Grain, a venue in Somerset here in the UK that only hosts 700 people. This is probably just going to be allowing him to warm up a bit. You don't get much of a sound check at Glastow, of course. And so this is a great way for him to limber up for probably the biggest show of the year. Now, A, this can be great for the 700 lucky people who did get to go. You know, having Paul do a more intimate show in a smaller venue. Who could resist that? But there's also a quote from the venue themselves who have said, What an amazing treat. We are told that this won't be his normal set either, so it should be an afternoon full of wonderful surprises. A change to the Paul McCartney set? What ho? What is all this? How very exciting indeed. I'll definitely be keeping my ear to the ground with this one, as it may give some clues as to what Paul might be playing at Glastonbury. Again, let's just see what happens, folks. But yeah, that is the end of the news segment. Let's go to the correspondence. To get in contact with the show, email us at paulmccartneypod at gmail.com. That's paulmccartneypod at gmail.com. And anything you want to say, anything you have to say, please send it into the show. I love reading out any correspondence here, as always. As long as it's tangentially or loosely related to Paul, I want to hear it. I want to hear whether you've been on the Got Back tour, whether you're going to Glastonbury, whether you've got something to say about a recent episode of the show, something coming up. Maybe you've got your own fact or factoid, whatever it is. And we do actually do have quite a bit of uh, correspondence here today, today here. So let's just crack on with that. Uh, first of all, we have a regular correspondent, sometimes early access uh, editor and patron, Teresa Brader, who has written in to tell us kindly about her experience with the Got Back tour. She says, Hi Sam, for several boring reasons I've never seen Paul live before. During the pandemic, I started regretting that, and on the day of the Orlando pre-sale, I bought $65 tickets, two seats at the end of the row, high up, but not ridiculously so, and a restrictive view, which means we wouldn't see the video screen behind Paul. During the 10-hour road trip to New Orleans, I played Paul songs the whole way and time flew. At the show, I didn't leave my seat once, sang along to every song, happy about the wings numbers that others didn't seem to know, and the concert flew by as well. Even my husband, a casual fan, enjoyed all of the Paul stories and laughed at all of his jokes. He loves fireworks, so you know what his favourite performance was. We were even close enough to feel the heat. I've got a feeling wasn't a surprise, but I still found it moving when John first appeared. Most moving to me, however, was carry that weight, because all I could think about was 
how much Paul has indeed had to carry throughout the years. The song has since become even more special to me. I'd already been beating myself up for not going to the last show in New Orleans on the last tour, but now I'm glad it all worked out this way. If I'd have gone then, I wouldn't have travelled to Orlando for what, by all accounts, was Paul in better form this time around. The end, Teresa. As always, Teresa, thank you so much for your correspondence. That was a lovely little narrative there. First of all, once again, we have another American travelling 10 hours via car because a sophisticated multi-state train network does not seem to exist. I would I hate being in the car for more than 20 minutes, so I don't know how I'd do on a 10-hour road trip. Uh, I hope your husband didn't mind all the songs on the way there and back as well. 20 hours total. Oh, my God. But it was lovely to see that he, uh, as a casual fan, as you said, was enjoying all of the classic Paulisms as well. Um, $65 a ticket as well. That seems perfectly reasonable. Nothing that the uh, headlines seem to be making out at all. Um, I'm sorry that you got a restricted view, though. I hope it didn't hamper your overall enjoyment of the experience. Um, it is weird, though, that Carry That Weight is something like he hasn't really done before. Like it's, I feel like with the amount of times he's done the medley and stuff, like it surely would have happened by now, but I guess not. And, uh, yeah, it does seem to be a rather more poignant song for a man at 80 years old to be singing. But, yeah. Overall, though, I'm just so glad that you finally got to see him. It was such a life-changing experience for me when I got to see Paul. I actually mentioned that later in this episode. But yeah, it's so important that we all get to see him, especially now when opportunities may be drying up. So good for you for taking the initiative and making sure that you weren't going to be living with any Macca-based regrets in the future. Peace and love, Teresa, as always. And following on from that, we have... Another lovely got back experience, this time from at SGL New York, one of my loyal Twitter followers, very active on the Twitter page, at least as far as I can see, and he sent this. Hey Sam, saw Paul at MetLife Stadium in New Jersey for the last show of the tour. I wore the t-shirt for me made by at Nickelwood, aka Sarah. It actually got quite a lot of attention from a couple of people. The tour dates are on the back, and I'm sure he's hoping to use new dates for a European tour. I bought myself two tickets on the pre-sale and I paid just $80 each. Crazy, I know. Very lucky. The seats would be where you could see him, and that's okay. We could still see him as an ant, but we couldn't see the videos behind him, just the ones on the side. It took away from something, but I really didn't notice. Having seen Paul between 20 and 30 times now, I was just happy to be in the building and having continued my streak of seeing Paul McCartney at least once each decade since the 1980s. He came on at exactly 8.30. It was a colder, blustery night with a good chance of rain thrown in. I went with my friend who saw him once in December 89 and once in July 2009. For him, every song seemed to be new and fresh. The couple next to me, in their 40s maybe, had definitely never seen him before and were excited. They were shocked when they asked me how long this will be and I said 2 hours 45 minutes. The total time was actually 3 hours after 39 songs. There were definitely younger fans, teens and twenties in the section where I was. They were thrilled to be hearing all the songs, and everyone around me laughed at all of his jokes and stories. When fans like us think, oh no, not this story again, remember, the vast majority of the 65,000 fans in attendance have never heard these. Of the non-Wings, non-Beatles songs, Come On To Me and New got good responses, 
but not fulfil you. Actually, in the middle of the set, at songs 18 through 20 seem to be the bathroom break songs. In fact, the lady next to me asked me during New if she could go to the bathroom or would she be missing the end of the show. I laughed and said, this is just the middle. The only song where I might voice my issue with is maybe I'm amazed. It was a really bum note from the start, though here today and something got huge hands. After that, Get Back and Bang on the Run were really getting the crowd going again. Again, it was a cold, windy night. Paul teased about a local artist and the fans started shouting, Bruce! To which Paul remarked, Oh, you guessed it. Then Bruce Springsteen showed up and played with Paul, two energetic versions of Glory Days and I Wanna Be Your Man. Then, of course, we had Let It Be with all the cell phones lit up. Then the rain started coming in with Live and Let Die, but thankfully it was short and the flames, which could be felt by us in the upper decks, were so inviting. The fireworks were terrific. Hey Jude was excellent, except for the just the guys, just the girls moment. It didn't have any prolonged coda though. The encore was the same as I would have expected. However, John Bon Jovi came out with his balloons to lead the crowd in Happy Birthday to Paul. The crowd spontaneously sang this earlier in the show too, which led Paul into Birthday. Springsteen came back out to join Rusty Paul and Brian with The End. After three hours of performing, we were once again amazed by Paul's mental and physical stamina at 80. We did see Paul one more time. His black bus passed us as we were leaving the stadium. He waved to the crowd as he was followed by several SUVs. I have a feeling he stayed longer than usual after the show, since it took us so long to leave the venue, as there were plenty of celebs waiting to wish him a happy birthday. It took us just an hour to leave the parking lot, all the cars were stuck in there, but people were singing Hey Jude, Na Na Na's as they waited with the windows down. Wow, what an incredibly vivid picture you've uh, painted for me there, dude. Thank you so much for that. I really enjoyed reading that. There's so much to pick through, actually. Uh, again, really, really cheap tickets. Uh, so cheap, and yet you can still feel the flames of the Live and Let Die fireworks. That's very interesting. Um, having seen Paul, oh my God, in every decade since the 80s, that's just so awesome. Uh, I love that moment when you were telling the kind of the newer show fans, like, oh, welcome to the fucking show. Like, this is what it's going to be. Like, this is going to be intense for you. Uh, <laughs> three hours for someone who doesn't know that's hilarious and yeah the idea that we should be expecting Paul to make a show entirely for long established fans and you know give new stuff is is totally valid I mean it's the same reason why Paul's set list hasn't changed after all these years he's well aware that this is always someone's first Paul McCartney gig and for those people for those first times at those first shows he does still make the magic getting to see Bruce incredibly cool uh, that's that's so mad actually uh, you know I, I, I got to see Ringo and Ronnie Wood but I think you know say you saw Bruce Springsteen probably get you more clout actually that's probably a, a, a rarer more uh, personal thing to uh, be really excited for you know, especially for the people of New Jersey like you know having their idol come out and then be on stage with Paul that's that's pretty damn cool also everyone if you don't know what t-shirt he's talking about at the start of the email there I'll put a link to it in the description for this video. It's a really cool t-shirt, actually. It's like this uh, visual tapestry of Paul's career and album covers done through the letters in his surname. It's 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 very cool. Go check it out. Anyway, thank you, SGL New York, for that. Uh, that was a, a really fun message to read. Thank you so much for giving such a detailed description there. You know, as cliche as these things always are, it really felt like I was there. So thank you for that. 
And if any of you want to be like those two there, do not hesitate. Send in your emails and or Twitter correspondence to at McCartneyPod or PaulMcCartneyPodcast at gmail.com. Uh, speaking of Twitter, of course, you can follow us on our Twitter page, which again is at McCartneyPod for daily updates and just general McCartney memery. Uh, if you want some bonus Paul or anything written content, you can go check out the sister blog at paulmccartneypod.wordpress.com. Follow us on all, on all the socials, you know, Facebook, Instagram. Follow us on YouTube as well by either typing in Paul or Nothing or Paul McCartney Podcast. Of course, YouTube is where you can find all of our episodes of Mac It In Your Attic, another one of our little side projects where me and a guest go through McCartney memorabilia. If you love this show, you will love that. Go and check it out on YouTube now. If you want to help out the show right away, in a way that takes less than 30 seconds, please leave us a review on whatever platform you are on, whether it's a like, a thumbs up, a tick, a comment, a, a, a share, or maybe even writing a delightful little review to explain to the rest of the world how awesome this show is. No pressure, you don't have to, but if you've got 30 seconds spare, again, it's always appreciated. And finally, if you want to help out the show directly, if you want to help see the show grow, if you want to help see get me new uh, equipment and product to review, or maybe you just want to say thank you for all the work that I put into the show, then consider joining our Patreon family. You know this shtick by now folks but Patreon is the platform by which you the public can support independent content creators such as myself by chucking a couple of dollars at my face down the internet every month I know that times are harsh now you know the financial crisis globally is ridiculous I'm not begging you for money it's not imperative it's just a little fund that goes into like getting new vinyl and stuff for reviews that's really it folks it's nothing too major um, it's it's a, it's a wonderful bonus to my life, and it you know allows me to be a lot freer as a McCartney fan. But there is no pressure. It's just if you really enjoy the show, if you like what I'm doing, then you know give me a couple of dollars a month. That's all I'm asking. But it is not just a gimme. You do get your money's worth. You get two days early access to all finished episodes of Paul or Nothing. You get one week early access to episodes of Macca in your attic. Although you do get access to the uh, Paul or Nothing video stream as well. So anything I do on Zoom will be uh, uploaded unedited from start to finish with video as well. So if you want to get in on episodes super early, like there's one up there now where I appear on someone else's show, that won't be out for several weeks yet. You can go watch that right now on the Patreon page. You get instant access to lost and deleted and bonus episodes of Paul and Nothing that will never be released. You get access to all of the scripts that I use for the show as well. And there is also the exclusive Patreon vlog. So I do an extra episode each week or as often as possible. Uh, <laughs> at the time of recording, I'm about to actually record another one where I'm going to go through all of Paul McCartney's songs from the 80s that he has and hasn't performed live. Shock horror if you know the answers to that one. But yet, there's like an, an extra hour of Paul and I think uploaded every week. So if you want a, a bit more of this, then you know where to go. Yeah, obviously, please consider trying the Patreon page, folks. It massively helps out the show. And the show would not be where it is without the kind patronage of people like Brian Brigman, Andy McNeil, Boz76, Jeff H, David Staberski, Mitzi Carter, Andy Cochran, Guy Jenkinson, Nancy Twoey, Richard Campbell, Christopher Newman, Mrs. P, Broderick Harper, Moti Ryber, Richard Shuley, Richard Driver, Chris Atkinson, Richard Binnington, Mr. B, Teresa Brader, Stephanie Miller, Katrina S, Sam Hode, Lou DiLonardo, Robert A. Carabelli, Warren Butson, Cheryl McCoy, Matt Phillips, and of course, Sir Percy Thrillington himself. 
Anyway, now that all of that housekeeping is out of the way, it is time for us to get ready to pop some blisters on our fingers as we explore the collaborative history of one Ringo Starr and one Paul McCartney. One, two, three, me, take it away. And hello, everyone. We are back here at Paul or Nothing. What's my name? Of course, my name is Sam Walls. We are here today to talk Macca and Ringo. We are going to go through every single Paul McCartney and Ringo Starr collaboration, helping hand duet that they've ever done. And who better to help me than the host of the indomitable, the brilliant Ringo Rama podcast, a podcast where I actually learn stuff listening to it because I know absolutely fuck all about Ringo Starr. His name is Lucas Hammer, who, now that I think about it, his name actually sounds like someone who would appear on a Ringo Starr album as one of the collaborators. <laughs> Lucas, welcome to Paul, and I think it's great to have you on, dude. Yeah, it's nice to be here, finally. Yeah, no, uh, I had you on Macca in your attic probably about half a year ago or something like that. Yeah, and I knew I was going to have you on to talk Ringo because you are probably one of the bravest podcasters out there. Like there is now a George Harrison podcast out there. I don't think I'll be able to do a George Harrison episode because they really collaborate at all after the Beatles broke up, but you indeed did start Ringo Rama. And I just thought you might be able to tell me a bit about that. What inspired you to start Ringo Rama and how long have you been a Ringo fan? Well, I really started out as a Paul fan. Mm. So I got all the Paul stuff and, but I got into Ringo because, like, I listened to, like, some of the stuff, like, from his 90s work. And, like, that's really cool stuff. So I got into that. Then I thought, well, there's no Ringo podcast. That's an open market. There's, like, yes. five podcasts. They're all really good. A lot of uh, lot of Beatles podcasts. There's the couple John Lennon ones. And there's one George one. There wasn't even a George one when I started. Mm-hmm. So it just seemed like a no-brainer to do it. And it's been really fun. I'm really excited to do a whole bunch of the 90s albums that I'm coming up to them. No, uh, I think you should be. In doing this episode, I've become a big fan of the of the Vertical Man album. I actually think that that's not a bad record. There, there it is, folks. <laughs> I have copies of this album. Of course, the inner sleeve is vertical. That make, that. make This doesn't have the booklet. I have one downstairs with the booklet. Because I bought this with the bonus disc, with the rarities. So in terms of Ringo collecting, is it mostly just CDs after like the late 80s? Or did he still put out a couple of pressings of vinyl for most of the stuff? Like, too bad I didn't bring all my vinyl. (laughs) But (laughs) uh, like all the way from like Sentimental Journey to like whatever old way, if you can get everything, time takes time because that got reissued on vinyl. You can get everything on vinyl. Okay, wicked. Okay, and then you can get the Christmas album, which you don't need. You can get that on vinyl, but like it's like negative one cent on eBay. <laughs> <laughs> so my some of my favorite Ringo albums are the albums he made from 1998 to 2008, mm-hmm. and you can get everything from before 1998 to after 2008. Oh, on vinyl. So what 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 are they then? What Vertical Man, Ringo Rama, Choose Love. And I don't really care for Liverpool, but I bundle it in because it's not on vinyl. Fair enough, fair enough. And then something of why not, you can get a pressing of this for like a hundred bucks on vinyl. Which is hundred bucks. Oh my gosh. We got this for four dollars yesterday. 
<laughs> no, um, I imagine it's probably quite cheap to be an introductory Ringo collector, but then to be a completionist. Oh, it's not. I mean, getting a CD of Stop and Smell the Roses, which I guess I'm just have it here because it's got Paul on it. But this goes for four hundred dollars anyway. Holy fucking shit! Are you I've scored it from thirty. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Oh my word. I mean, I that, think Tom Hunyadi has it. I think he was like, I'm jealous. <laughs> if you can make Tom Hunyadi jealous, my, my, my friend, you are doing something right. Oh my gosh. That's, that is so cool. I mean, yesterday I just uh, splurged some spare cash on the uh, McCartney one, two and three box set. That's just been released. Oh, and, yeah. and it just got announced. If it just been released, I would have had it. Yeah. Uh, there needs to be a Ringo archive collection, that kind of thing. Maybe once you get a couple bonus tracks that already exist. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could do like maybe like an uh, you know, may- maybe more box sets rather than individual re-releases. Like, say, if you'd, you know, Ringo seventies, Ringo eighties, Ringo nineties, and then two thousands. You can give me two for releases. Like, give me Ringo one and Ringo Ringo one. Give me Ringo, Goodnight Vienna. Both of those albums are less than 40 minutes long. You put them both on a disc and then give me some unreleased stuff at the end. That's what the Beach Boys did. Mm-hmm. And then you can have um, Buku of Blues and Sentimental Journey together as well, like the, uh, yeah. the the early stuff. I think I think certain Beatle fans would definitely be up for that. Maybe don't do... It's like Vertical Man and stuff. I want a 2 LP vinyl reissue, Half Speed Master of Vertical Man. Then I'll get something. <laughs> half Speed Master, It's like yeah. 55 minutes long, and then on the fourth side, you can give me the bonus tracks. Yeah. The, they have like, there's like a whole bunch of outtakes in that album you can give me. Then you can have a bonus disc with all the videos, like the video for La Da, which I had a lot of fun watching. I'm, oh, I'm the La Ladi Da has... A total of 10 different edits. <laughs> they were really trying. That song hit 63 on the bill on Billboard. Uh, yeah. They made like a two-minute edit, a two-minute 15 edit. There's an edit that's like four minutes. There's an edit that's four minutes 30. There's an edit that's six minutes. There's an edit that's six minutes and ten seconds. Six minutes and ten seconds of so, like, la the de da. so the fourth minute one is just the album version that crossfaded into an hour song. But the six minute, 10 second version doesn't crossfade. That's the only difference. So you can hear a little bit more. You can hear one more chorus round. <laughs> I bought, I've had to buy a whole $16 CD for that edit, by the way. Fucking yes. Oh, it's so, it's so cool to know that even the Ringo stuff in the Solo Beatles catalog has all these variations. I'm like these the number versions. one Ringo uh, unreleased recording collector. I have pretty much everything. Everything except that cassette tape that we're going to be talking about later. I I assume you weren't the guy that bought that way that with the demo. Oh, <laughs> I didn't. I didn't pick up the. I don't have the two cassette tapes. Yeah, Angel is the size of attention. Yeah, I was trying. <laughs> I'll put in a good word for a to a Paul for you. I'll see what I can get done. Yeah, so you know, we'll just, I'll just send it to someone else. <laughs> now, just before we begin, I think that. I'm going to be quite controversial at the top of this episode. My favorite Ringo contribution songs, like ones that were gifted to him, are not the ones by Paul. They're the ones by John and George. Would you say that... Actually. Yeah. Is it is it quite apparent, in especially in like the Ringo fandom, that 
John and George wrote the better material for Ringo. Is that fair to say? Is that fair to say? Paul gave Ringo his throwaways, I think. Mm-hmm. Well, Six O'Clock's a nice song, but like at Pure Gold, I mean, lot, lots of these are just throwaways that he gave to Ringo. That's mm-hmm. why he stopped giving songs to Ringo after a while. Well, it seems like, because in the Beatles, Paul knew how to write for Ringo, Yellow Submarine, with a little help from my friends, these really good songs that allows Ringo to play to his strengths, shall we say. You know, he's got a more limited vocal range. He's got a much deeper set voice. And Paul managed to write songs that, you know, Ringo could do. I know Lennon contributed somewhat to them as well, but they're mainly Paul Ventures. And then in the solo era, Paul just like started writing Red Rose Speedway ballads for him. And it's like, whoa, Paul, what are you doing? Why aren't you just writing something kind of jaunty and do 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 you know, something kind of fun, like uh, the country hands or something like that. That would have been so much more appropriate. And I just love that, you know, there's probably Lennon just sitting there thinking, ah, oh, let's try and one more way to outdo Paul. And he just gives Ringo, I'm the greatest. And it is the greatest. That's my favourite uh, other solo. That, that's a great song. He's doing it live now. I mean, he was doing it live until, he got, until uh, Edgar Winter got covid <laughs> oh no yes yeah, so as we are recording this folks is it two members of his touring band have got covid and he's had to reschedule your winter down with the, the virus flu. oh my god i was thinking about even seeing him on this tour too really so sad it would have been like a five-hour drive but it was sad to see that postponed again have you seen ringo live actually i haven't by the time i was a big ringo fan it was covid so oh no that's oh. bad timing but he's going to be touring for another five or six years, I think. They, they're they going to be wheeling. Ringo wants to be like the first 100-year musician or whatever, right? I think that's his thing. Mm. I think he can do it. Because he's still dancing. I mean, I'm hearing him now on the new recordings that have just been on YouTube. Mm-hmm. He sounds great still. I hope I hope he's doing some some Mick Jagger dancing still. He still doesn't like moving to the right, moving to the left. <laughs> <laughs> Does does Ringo have any quirks when he's live? Like, does he do the whole Paul? And now the and now the men, and now the he ladies. Boy says, "What's my name?" <laughs> uh, so obviously, the All Star Band is a great way to get around the fact that Ringo doesn't have quite as many classics as the other solo I Beatles. Think, uh, I think the All Star Band is nice, but I feel like I miss. You miss the stuff you would get. A Ringo show will be really fun because you get to have a lot more deep cuts than usual. Mm-hmm. But with the all-star band, you're expecting like, oh, I mean, he has 13 songs in the show or something around there. There's only 11 Beatles songs. He should play at least one deep cut, right? And then he's like pulling out a Beatles song he's never played just to avoid the deep cut. Oh, that's what, that's that that's very McCartney-esque, you know? And then someone from Toto's got to play a song, then Hamish Stewart's got to play a song as well. I know. I thought uh, Hamish and Paul, I thought, you know, Paul went went on stage with the All-Stars. It'd be a great time for Hamish and Paul to reunite. Yeah, um, the only time Paul has been on stage with the All-Stars was for Ringo's 17th, was it? Yeah. Yeah, did, He did Birthday and another song, was it? Or was it just Birthday? And he probably joined on for with a little help from my friends or something, came on stage. Yeah. That makes sense. That makes sense. You know, I want Paul and Ringo on stage doing Don't Pass Me By. That blow people's minds. You know? I mean, oh my gosh. He's bringing that one back. He doesn't well, even do Don't Pass Me By. He did it a couple of times. Oh. That's a fun one. But he gets on piano for it. Ringo's actually an all right piano player. Oh, 
oh, that 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 would be nice to see. Has he ever got on guitar on stage, or is it just either drumming, piano, or standing and singing? Oh, he does piano on the one song when he does it, but it's either drumming or he's out there singing, Fair or he enough. takes a break during Frankenstein. <laughs> drink some water yeah probably groaning that McCartney doesn't have to drink water for three hours or whatever but yeah oh dude I, I really do hope you see you see Ringo when I saw Paul so much of my life just felt like it started to make sense and the fact that he is touring means you really have to take advantage of that though when Paul comes to the station tour right yeah the out there tour 2018 uh just it was, just it was, it was freshen up right oh freshen up no you're right i saw him on out there oh wicked oh so you've seen paul that's cool that's, yeah that's this, cool, is, uh, this is not the shirt that i had because it doesn't fit me anymore but this is like a an out there shirt from like 2013 see i feel quite bad because the show that I oh did he he did temporary secondary yeah. oh it you're was lucky like, one of those 10 dates where he did it that's so cool. No, yeah. um, that's about as common as, as seeing him do Women and Wives on the latest tour. Uh, oh, we good. did it for five dates and then it's gone. Yeah, never again, never again. He saw too many people going to the toilet, I imagine. But I do feel kind of bad because on the date that I saw Paul, on the 18th, just before Christmas. Oh, we he must go, have one before Christmas time, right? Well, not only did he do Wonderful Christmas Time, but it was during the era when Ringo and Ronnie Wood would come on and do Get Back with him. Oh. And I got to see Get Back with with uh, Ringo. It was oh, it was it was all right. It was the Beatles. Yeah, I got to see all the living Beatles. I it, it kind of checked it off. Like I don't need to see the All Star Band. I've seen Ringo on stage now. I've kind of I've kind of done it semi. But uh, you, you know what, dude? We've got a lot of songs to get through today, and I've got all a right. lot of opinions on all of them uh this was a very fun concept uh everyone lucas gave me a full list of ringo and mccartney uh collaborations and i thought oh maybe i've done you know five or six. Oh no oh there's a whole oh, lot of I'm looking to get through. right now we can't forget the one song on why not though that has the bass <laughs> always one note yeah there's yeah there's like i mean after like the 80s most of these are either just Paul on bass or Paul vocal. There's 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 very little uh, Paul gifting him songs after the kind of broad street after era. After like 1992 or whatever. Yeah. Where Paul gifts Ringo an off-the-ground era rap. Ringo, I want you to do Meat Free Mondays. Meat Free Monday, it's a fun day. Yeah. That, uh, Happened all around the world. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's the name? It's Meat Free Monday. Yeah. Oh, right. Let's start off today properly with a song that might be the least subtle Beatle reference ever committed to a title. We'll start off with Bye Bye Blackbird. Pack up all my cares and woe. Here I go, singing low. Bye bye, Blackbird. Where somebody waits for me, sugar is sweet, so is she. Bye bye, Blackbird. No one here can love and understand me. Bye. 
So, yeah, this is part of the great American songbook and all that, but the fact that this was recorded after the breakup of the Beatles and is kind of a reference to one of their most memorable songs, being Blackbird, and the fact that, you know, McCartney is the composer and singer of Blackbird, it does make it out to me that this is kind of just, a you know, a post-breakup tip of the hat to the fans, and this is the, you know, the start of their long and winding journey together. And... It was actually quite interesting for me, this one. I did enjoy it a lot more than I thought I would. But before I go off, Lucas, what are your thoughts on Ringo's rendition of this American classic? I mean, the old Sentimental Journey is not my type of album. Hmm. But, like, it's neat that Paul does the arrangement on this one. It was recorded in that weird time, like, late 69, when the Beatles were kind of still together, but they weren't really... (laughs) But it's just nice to see Paul and Ringo collaborating in this type of weird time. This time where like John where John was supposedly throwing bricks in Paul's window. <laughs> yeah, Paul probably came back from the from the sessions to find glass on the floor. I think I did an episode of When They Was Fab talking about Sentimental Journey. And I'm not going to lie, I've, I've kind of got a little soft spot for it. I've, there's part of me that prefers Ringo doing covers rather than his own material. Might be a controversial opinion for your fans out there, but I think he's very good at picking songs that already exist that he's going to be good at singing, whereas he might not be as deft at picking songs that are going to be written for him in terms of quality. This one's definitely within his wheelhouse and his charming presence ensures that it stays on the likeable side of inoffensive. But McCartney makes some very interesting instrumental choices in the arrangement here. This does sound like it's you know, a real part of his Tin Pan Alley, Jim Max band kind of arrangement. Uh, you know, This could be produced by the County Hams. Uh, you know, it's very whimsical, very nostalgic all while keeping it quite Ringo-esque. You know, he's still clearly got a bit of that Ringo collaborative Beatle spirit going there. Have you heard the version that McCartney does on the 2012 album Kisses on the Bottom? Kisses on the Bottom. Yeah. Last time I listened to Kisses on the Bottom, it was to help me fall asleep. Mm -hmm. But... (laughs) It's not what I'm looking forward to reviewing. It's an inoffensive recording. It's just, you know, good old Paul with his... I think that album was basically recorded live at Capitol Mm -hmm. in one session. Oh, really? I didn't even know that. That's interesting. uh, When Paul McCartney, when the engineer for that album passed, he said he was the engineer for my Kiss on the Bottom session. Singular. Mm. That's interesting. I think there's probably overdub sessions on like My Valentine or something, but I think they knocked that all out in one session. Like the live album is all one session. It sounds exactly like the album. I actually prefer Richie's version for what it's worth. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't like that slow, jazzy, orchestral thing that Paul does. And the more upbeat, quick paced one that Ringer does is just a lot more obviously enjoyable. I love the little bit of banjo on it as well. It, you know, it kind of gave me that kind of Al Jolson feel maybe. Although McCartney notes in the CD booklet for Kiss on the Bottom that he and John liked the song so much that they intended the Beatles to do a, a recording of it. Imagine the Beatles doing this song on like with the Beatles or something like that, or maybe like the BBC sessions. Yes, it definitely like a BBC. I could see this on like as like maybe replacing Maggie May on Let It Be or something like that. Like one of the like a little song. 
you know what? This has to have been played during the Let It Be they sessions. They have to have done it during the Get Back sessions. They just haven't found the tape yet. Yeah. Peter, Peter Jackson is like, oh my gosh, a, a Finn Borbor Blickbeard. Yeah. That, oh my gosh. I need to see that footage. It must exist. Peter Jackson's like, I want to redo everything. <laughs> yeah. Just to include <laughs> Bye Bye Blackbird. That probably would have been some of the bonus features that Disney wouldn't have allowed us to ever have seen on the DVD. That I know, but hey, at least we get the four arc cards, man. Yeah. Yeah, you know, at least. I've version of Kiss on the bottom of arc cards. Oh, I'm jealous. I'd love that. I'd love that indeed. It has Baby's Request on it, though. That's the real bonus there. Mm-hmm. It'd be nice if Baby's Request first came out on bottom, Kisses on the Bottom, and we could have we got Cage on Back to the Egg. That would have been nice. They cut something from Back to the Egg. I don't know. I'd like to see Cage. Mm-hmm. I'd like to see same time next year on that album. Yes, it was definitely, it was definitely the, uh, the same sessions as well. I'm very excited for the Back to the Egg archive question, London Town. I'm hoping for Off the Ground next. I'd like them oh, to. I'm ready. I'm ready for Off the Ground too. Just, just keep teasing the wings stuff. I think but once the wings stuff's out, that's the end of the archive collection. Yeah, people are not going to care about the driving rain one. I mean, all, all of the driving rain one. I'm going to get that, that one. one that says that Rusty said was a Beatles '64 track. <laughs> oh, Rusty, you, you silly man! Right for our second song here today, we have one of two songs that I actually own on vinyl because a very kind fan of the show sent me in the Ringo album. This is your 16. screen right now awesome i also have the vinyl too of course yes this is the cover of the top 10 hit for johnny burnett and this is the proper solo era of ringo's career where he's taking all the beetle help he can get but this is not actually the first bacardi pen tune we're going to discuss today his contribution is probably less impactful than the last one he plays kazoo he plays yeah. now on, on this, he plays the kazoo. You know that. He doesn't play the kazoo, actually. He does it with his mouth. Does that with his mouth? Really? Yeah, That's with the kazoo. So he just puts a finger over it and makes that kind of kazoo sound. Yeah, because there's a, a quote from Richard Perry, the song producer, who says, "In fact, the solo on Your 16, which sounds like a kazoo or something, was Paul singing very spontaneously as he played the track back. So he's singing the solo on that. That's." That blew my mind, actually, because it does sound legitimately like a, a kazoo. Yeah. And um, it gave me that kind of lovely Rita, Rita Maid kind of vibe, you, you know, where they played paper on a cone just to get yeah. that sound. 
really interesting that Paul's just got that little trick in his roundhouse. That's very cool. There's a rough fix of this. Oh. And it's on like Okay. Uh, the it's got like a bit more heart. The drums are up in the mix. Harry Nilsson's backing vocals up in the mix. Okay, and you can hear the kazoo solo more because the, the mouth horn solo more. <laughs> uh, a lot of fun alternate mixes on this stuff. It all needs to come out. It, it def- I mean, a Ringo anniversary edition would definitely sell. People do love that album. Here, I would buy it if it came out a little, get a little free LP set, maybe a four CD, mm-hmm. free CD in a Dolby Atmos mix. Oh come on, people would buy that. It is the iconic Ringo album. It's the one that you know all Beatle fans are aware of and have heard, no matter what area of the fandom they're a part of it's an album that i enjoy and i'm a massive ringo cynic so number one yeah it was number one and it you know it was around the time when ringo had loads of hit singles as well it's the prime ringo era and is this song a classic in the wider ringo canon in terms of that album or i mean yeah it's one of the only ones he plays live he plays he's played free songs from the album live hmm He's done Photograph, of course. Actually, four. He's done Photograph, I'm the Greatest, You're 15, and Oh My My. Oh, wow. So. He's never done six o'clock. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, wow. I'll have to get to that quickly then. But um, yeah. as easy as I find it to be won over by Ringo, as obviously a proven formula that all the elements in this song are, it did kind of fail to do anything for me. I get that it's meant to be like surface level fun, which it is. But it still kind of left me wanting for that magic Ringo sparkle. Maybe just to take it a little further. And I know that you know the majority of his work is full of tropes and archetypes, but this one failed to cover up that fact with something a little more interesting. I mean, if we're talking about Ringo covers of Johnny Burnett songs, we're going to have to head over to Ringo's Rotogravure for his incredible cover of Hey Baby. That's a Ringo cover. That is one of my favorites. go yeah i don't know about that cover i mean it's a bit of a drunken sing-along to me i just love the bass that boom 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 there's an alternate mix of that for video which has got like a little bit more of a clap to it a bit more of a rhythm yeah the video's terrible it's like like it's shot on a potato (laughs) it's so bad uh it's like ringo going down the stairs 
kissing just different women as he goes down the stairs and then oh rotogravure is interesting my booklet for rotogravure is a misprint and I think it's not a misprint but all of the rotogravure booklets are misprints <laughs> so we open the booklet and then it's just you have a little bit of the gape and then it's just right into the lyrics if you don't know me at all right right in the middle of the lyrics of the fourth song on the album I'm missing a page like a whole page and then it goes to like then it fin- then the album finishes the album lyrics finished and then we're back at the beginning the first song on the album's lyrics oh my god they put a page in the wrong order oh my god that's a real fuck up that's so, that's so bad they didn't make many copies of the Rotogravure CD. Any of his late 70s CDs, they never really came out that much. Have you got the vinyl that comes with the little eyeglass piece? That's, like... a, that's a myth, the eyeglass. Oh, I've is it? I've asked professionals about an eyeglass. I have seen one photo of the eyeglass. I have it downloaded. <laughs> it's saved on and an external hard like drive. Proto, it was a promo item. Okay. Oh, so like maybe like you know, radio like DJs, in the little maybe, combo so. books it would come with it. Right, but it, it wasn't on every single one. That's interesting. No. It was I've, on every single one we'd see him more. Like sealed copies of photographier around. They don't have the eyeglass. That's interesting. I could have sworn that, that was that, that was the truth. That's why I've got you on, dude. That's why I've got you on. One thing that I would be remiss if I didn't bring up though is the lyrics for your sixteen. It's probably a very trite and overdone thing at this point, but I can't be the only one that finds it a little creepy that 33-year-old Ringo singing about a 16-year-old being his. I'm totally willing for this to be intended to be played for laughs, like, oh, look, it's Ringo still thinking he's young. But even back then, like, Jerry Lee Lewis had to cancel a whole UK tour because he married his 14-year-old cousin. So... People could not have been completely unaware of the connotations here. I think it's a bit in bad taste, if I'm honest. I think that's probably why I didn't like it. He still does this song, too, now. <laughs> Over 80. He's like, he's done it like maybe 70 or something. And it, I don't know. Also, there's an illustration for the song in the booklet. Oh, wow. Oh, no, he's getting off with her in the backseat of a car as well. In front of a and it's projected on the screen. <laughs> oh my gosh Ringo you naughty boy I was warming everybody he should just sing your 60 now you know what I mean your 60 ones because I think someone like in the audience is like I'm turning 60 today Ringo he's like alright we're doing your 60 now that would be better that would give the song a nicer legacy I think that would be a laugh too yeah you know Singing a love song for somebody's 60 and chasing after them. I think that's I think that's quite cute. In third place, we finally get to the part of the episode that I thought it was going to be mostly about, you know, the idea of Paul being a songwriter for hire. And so it's time now, folks, that we discuss six o'clock. Six o'clock in the morning. You've just gone to sleep I wipe a tear from mine You can't be the kind of company I keep That keeps me asking You keep me asking You keep me wondering why 
Yeah, this is the first song that McCartney ever quote-unquote gave away. This isn't him playing kazoo. This is one that he co-wrote with the lovely Linda McCartney. It's an original composition. It was recorded on the 16th of April in the Apple Studios in London as McCartney could not enter the US due to drug arrests and stuff like that. On the track, McCartney also plays the the synthesizer. I always struggle with that word. The synthesizer, the piano, as well as singing backing vocals on the track. It was actually and recorded. vocals towards the end. Yes. Reviews the extended version on the Goodnight Vienna CD, not the Ringo CD. Yeah, that was that, that was added as a bonus track. Uh, bonus for, tracks on Goodnight Vienna are all Ringo, are all from the Ringo album bonus tracks. They're so like weird. songs from 1972. But they're on <laughs> Vienna. They could have dusted off a Goodnight Vienna outtake. I feel like. Like, whenever I read about this song, people say it's the first time Paul and Ringo work together. And it's like, does no one does no one care about Sentimental Journey? They actually work together on that. But yeah, before we talk about the behind the scenes of this song, what do you think about Ringo and his performance on this song specifically? How do you rank this one? It's a, ni- it's a nice ballad. And it's probably the best song Paul wrote for Ringo. Mm-hmm. One of the best, maybe... The, its closest competitors are like the stuff on Stop and Smell the Roses. Mm-hmm. But it's a nice it's a nice song. It's a ballad. I mean, it's kind of in that Red Rose Speedway vein, but it's got a nice little wingsy synthesizer on it. Yes. This is the one with I don't treat you like I, I don't treat you like I should. With, that's the one with that refrain. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. a rough mix of this, of course. There's always a rough mix. <laughs> it's a rough mix of this where you can hear Paul's count in and his piano's boosted in the mix and the mm-hmm. harmonies to get that little coda. I, nice. I really enjoy that coda. I think it's quite it's quite enjoyable. Yeah. Um, especially because we'll you... Paul's on vocals. Yes. Uh, you also get to hear the lovely Linda's Linda. vocals as well. Yeah. Unmistakable. It's kind of like a, a semi-wing song, really, in many ways. Well get to more semi-wing songs yes. pretty much fully wing songs yeah um, yeah stuff stuff with Lawrence Duber later on actually I think there's a song we don't know that may have, we may have passed by for for this that's not Ooh. a Paul and Ringo collaboration but it's a Ringo and Linda collaboration what song. what what's it called let's look it up right now what's it called so Okay, we'll get it to when we do Stop Small the Roses. Okay, okay. Oh my gosh, but oh my gosh. I was just looking in the booklet for that, and there's a... <laughs> well, I'll just put it this way. Ringo's on Wide Prairie. This is this will keep people listening. This will get you retention. You know what? I think I've got that written down. I can't believe I didn't remember that. Yeah, we will, we will get back to that very shortly. It's six o'clock. Nice <laughs> yeah. song. Um, it really reminded me of Beautiful Night in many ways. It felt like there was a bit of a, a through line there. When are we getting Return to Pepperland? That's all I'm thinking about now. When are they going to put that out? Return, uh, what? Return That's to Pepperland? Yeah. I love that. I love that album. All the Phil Ramone stuff. My brother record Store Day. Yesterday was Record Store Day over mm-hmm. here in the States. They should have given us that. Look, 35, 35th anniversary. Return to Pepperland. Hey, I could Come not... On, I could not get women and wives for the life of me. I went to three different record stores. Uh, I, I didn't go for all day. Ah. I, 
I was I could have really gotten it, but I own Women and Wives four times. I do not. I'm gonna own it a fifth soon. I don't need another copy of it. Let's have a look. Reimagine two copies of McCartney Three. One still sealed, and I'm gonna get this box set. So I need another Women and Wives copy. So on eBay right now. £69.99, £99, £62.75. Sometimes. Yeah. yeah. I, I, in a hurry went down to $30. It did. It did very, 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 very quickly. You've you've just got to hold out. World tonight. <laughs> Home tonight. I wish we got a record for day 45 of the world tonight. Oh, I mean, <sighs> you're so right about that return to Pepperland, though. Maybe like do Return to Pepperland and make like Atlantic Ocean for the B side or something. That that'd be great. I'd love that. Oh my gosh. I don't um, know if you could release Atlantic Ocean. And I do not think you could have released it uh on Record Store Day, which is a day off from Juneteenth. <laughs> I just don't think you could have managed a slave trade song a day before Juneteenth. Yeah, I mean, there is the version that's on the Flaming Pie record, which is the second vocal take, which which is like, uh, it doesn't mention the slave trade on it. Uh, he, he does kind of work around that. And I think that's why that version was on the Flaming Pie version, as you can see just above here. Yeah, always been a weird lyric because it's, it's... One it's, of my three copies. Three copies. I have the final one, I have the two CD and I have that. Any of the uh, Flaming Pie single CDs? I have World Tonight. World Tonight. You've got to get the... You on the flip. You've got five more to go because there's three singles and there's two versions of three each singles. of them. They always said the double version. Oh, so much so much to collect, so little time. I grab the CD Paul's not even on for this. <laughs> I have so many of this is way the world. Oh, that's really oh, bad artwork, that is. Don't worry, <laughs> All so, right. Um, what were we on about? Yeah, we go wrong, Ravior. Um, we are. Well, yeah, yeah. Let's let's move on to uh, to Roto Gravior. Yeah. All right. The title of this next song might be overselling the quality a smidge. Uh, this is pure gold. We've skipped through 1974's Good Night Vienna, which McCartney was not a part of, and now we're on 76's. Lennon's, Lennon's all over that record, though. Yeah, oh, the, the song itself, Good Night Vienna, is is a classic. All right. Yeah. Great song. Rock mix to that one, of course. Of course. <laughs> With piano in the mix. 
like uh, Six O'Clock, this one wasn't a single. It, I mean, I can't believe that McCartney did so much in the summer of 76, though, because not only did he record Wings at the Speed of Sound, he did Holidays. I think this was a stopover on, not on Wings Over America, but when, maybe when Jimmy broke his finger or whatever and couldn't fly. Yeah, well, like, I mean, yeah. I thought it was, probably would have been during the break, between, halfway between the tour, perhaps, because there was about three or four months between the Wings Over Europe and Wings Over America. There was there was definitely a gap for Paul to uh, squeeze in a session with his buddy Richie. Would you say that this is pure gold or is this a no-no song? Uh, I, don't, I don't think this is Paul's finest work. I think this may be one of his work. 76 is a rough year for Paul, actually. <laughs> At least early 76. Because you have Wings Over the Speed of Sound, which is all right. It's not that got, not got that many good songs. But then when you get to the end of 76, you do have Holidays, which is nice. Love Holidays. It's one of my favorite albums just to put on in the background. Absolutely love that one. The only problem with that album is I feel like yeah, Paul kind of did Denny on that one because he's like, Paul's like, I'll produce you an album, Denny Lane. We'll record at my demo studio. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. It's meant to be like, you know, classic rock and roll. No, Paul, can we do it at Abbey Road? No. <laughs> no, we can't, actually. <laughs> Only in Rude Corner. Yeah. Oh, I mean, originally we were going to do a Ringo's Rotogravio episode, so this is probably the one that I'm most oh, familiar yeah. with. But I think you were like, this album's so horrible, I can't do it. Not my quote, exactly. <laughs> Ringo's Rotogravio is interesting, but once you get to like the end of it, it's like, it's like an experience. Spooky weirdness. Yeah, that's like, that's clearly one of those songs where it's like, I'm going to get royalties for every song that I do. So if I just put this little thing on at the end, that's an extra song that I'm going to get royalties on. Yeah, in the US, it was every song. That's why the Beatles only had 11 songs on albums because mm-hmm. they had like, the US was every song royalty. Mm-hmm. See, I only get this knowledge by falling asleep to Beatles podcasts. Yes, I totally get that. I totally get that. Overall, I'd say Pure Gold is a perfectly fine ballad. There is a clear strength in some parts of the melody, like in the pre-chorus, but it, it's not the most exciting song ever, is it? Like Production, Ringo's, of course, being drowned out, the vocals. Mm-hmm. That album could use a remix, I feel like, just the vocal tracks. Yeah, it's... It, it, the it, only it, Ringo album that could be remixed is Goodnight Vienna, so... Mm. Well, because that one is like, that one's got, there's stems whatever stems is like tracks for it online oh really there's like you get basic vocal take and stuff because it was released in quad oh okay oh wow that's the i mean hopefully giles martin will come up with that technology that allows us to separate all of please please me and rubber soul oh i I don't do that i heard the new beach boys album came out yesterday the new greatest hits album they're using a uh, digital extraction to like take out like the tracks and stuff. And I was listening to it. I had to turn it off. There was like so much of like mm, sound in the left ear. <laughs> oh my gosh. That is my homework for tonight. For Back sure. to Mono, the Serpent Safari remix. No, um, I've been listening a lot to the Untitled Beatles podcast and they've, they've convinced me that Beatles need to be listened to in mono rather than stereo now. I'm, I'm, I'm a full convert to that. 100%. Yeah, pure gold. 
it, it doesn't take the next step to go somewhere a bit more bombastic and interesting. It kind of just mopes around. And considering its own lyrics and the topic it covers, it seems to be kind of like missing its own point a bit. And McCartney as a songwriter, I don't think the song's unsalvageable in terms of a McCartney melody, but it's a big step down from the last song. And that wasn't the greatest one either. This is so clunky. And there's this weird like shuffle time signature that it's being performed at. And it's like the time signature change is during the chorus. And it's like, mm. this is something he would be given to Denny Lane on a bad day. Yeah, it totally <laughs> is. It's the speed of sound side two material. And, you know, Lennon's giving him Goodnight Vienna just before this, a song that is totally... Only You, you, which became a top 10 hit Mm -hmm. with Harry Nilsson. Like, why is Paul trying to make Ringo this balladeer? It's like, no, Paul, give him... If you're going to give him a throwaway, give him a fun throwaway, you know, just something a little more up-tempo and silly. And, uh, yeah, maybe he was just concentrating... It was written for Ringo's girlfriend by Paul. (laughs) Is he with Barbara back at this point? Ringo's girlfriend by Paul. This is a weird, interesting thing going on there. Yeah. Oh, (laughs) it's a bit of a maybe a bit of a Layla situation. Who knows? I I think Ringo used to call her Pure Gold or whatever. So Paul's like, "Oh, I wrote a song. I wrote a song called Pure Gold." Yeah, I mean, there's also a part with them when maybe Ringo's asking Paul to write him ballads because he knows Paul wrote, you know, Let It Be and Yesterday and hoping he's going to give him one of them. But he's got to be a bit silly to think that Paul's going to give him something that he wouldn't just keep on his own record, you know? You know what? Let's let's leave the lucrative 1970s, which treated both Paul and Ringo so well, and press onwards to the dreaded doldrum of the unforgiving... 1980s, yeah. Being that 90% of the UK's laws are based on private property ownership, the next song does make a whole lot of sense. This is private property, private property. This is not the next chronological Ringo Starr album. Again, we've skipped through Ringo the Fourth and Bad Boy. (laughs) Bad Boy, which I own. I have translucent blue swirl vinyl Bad Boy with poster. So I get it. Okay, (laughs) I ordered it. It says with poster. Yeah. And I'm like, all right, I'm gonna put this Ringo poster up my room. I was looking at Bad Boy posters, and there's like these big 
Chrome ones. They're gigantic. I'm like, I'm was right. It, was it A4? So the poster is just an inner sleeve. Like this on this zoom in vinyl. I'm gonna get it. This is what the poster was, just this little piece of paper. That's so lame. That's that. The world vinyl wasn't that swirly either. They only made a thousand copies of the bad boy. And I don't think they've sold through their thousand yet. <laughs> That's what they did. They keep making versions of Ringo the Fourth. Who's gonna buy Ringo the Fourth on gold vinyl for the fifth time? Who's gonna buy it on orange? <sighs> I mean, I'd like a copy of smell of uh, stop stop and smell smell the roses, you know, and clear coke. On vinyl, but expensive on CD. Oh, it's on streaming on Spotify now, I believe. Yeah, Ringo, not- uh, Ringo's Roto Gravier is not on Spotify. Clearly, Ringo's not very interested. Well, I'm in Roto sure. Gravier on Spotify. Everything on everything in the US, everything's there in the US on Spotify. But on Apple Music, you you miss like a couple bonus tracks and. Uh, Ringo 2012, which is nine songs. Dude, there is Ringo Star Stop Smell the Roses on CD going for £1.20 right now. Yeah, and there's two bids. There's one day left. I'm going to put a bid at £5 right now. I'm going to I'm going to put a bid in right now. Live on the show. Confirm bid. I might... I, I might All have- right, 146 plus 609 shipping Hang from on. United Kingdom. Hang on. Review bid. Okay, I've put I've put down ten pounds. Yeah, there we go. I'm the number one bidder now. Oh, come on! If I can get <laughs> yes, oh, I'm gonna get this. Bring us yeah, nine fifty, nine pounds fifty. Oh my gosh! We, we just bidding live on the episode, trying to outrank each other. Come on, no, I'm good. No, no, I don't need it. And I've got the CD, thirty uh, bucks from uh, from some guy in the UK. They're more prevalent over there. Hmm. So this is meant to be like another revival album for Ringo after two late 70s duds, a bit like McCartney. Yeah. um, Ringo had a rough year in 79. His house burnt down and he had to go to the hospital like five times. Jesus. And he started recording an album and he's just like, I'm not going to record. I'm not going to finish this. And then he came back to Campfire Lightning. This track was the opening to Stop and Smell the Roses and was released as the second single backed with Stop and Take the Time to Smell the Roses. It failed to chart anywhere. It's going to be a bit of a theme around this time. But um, am I correct, Lucas? Ringo wanted Paul to produce the whole album, but he ended up just producing like four songs, right? Okay. I have this. I have the book. Lawrence Juber's on here. This out, this song. So this is Wings. There's photos of them at the desk, at the work, working. Oh, that's cool. This book. This is a nice booklet. It's like 20 pages. It's like a whole book on the album. That's cool. Because I think Wings Were in Limbo, McCartney 2 has just been released. So guess what Guess what? Paul McCartney song this, that private property shares a engineer with? Guess. Good night it's, tonight. So no. Like if you guessed Rough Ride, <laughs> really? Oh my word! Steve Lipson makes his appearance <laughs> on engineering the sessions. Rough Ride, because it says it has flowers in the dirt bolded in the booklet. Stop and smell the flowers in the dirt. <laughs> That's so cool. 
So yeah, this was recorded between the 11th and 21st of July 1980 at Super Bear Studios in Bear La Alpes in France. And during these sessions, we got uh, private property and attention, a cover of Sure to Fall. And you can't fight lightning. And as as you just said, it's in my notes right here. Linda's loves full glory. Uh, that's so cool. No, it's it's backwards. It says no loves full glory. Well, it's the master that it's there. I don't know how you can even read that. In the fanzine The Right Things in 1981, Ringo said, I met Paul in France and Cannes. I'd asked him if he'd like to produce an album. And he said, yeah. So we wrote some songs. We fixed them in a studio in France. We had four tracks. Three were using. And one I wrote, I think it's the best album I've done in years. This one had more energy behind it. Uh, <laughs> not sure if that's entirely true, but I think that's correct. I think this is the best album he's done in years. This is the first album he's done in years. Fair enough. I mean, it's it's probably is it is it better at least than Ringo the Fourth and Bad yeah, Boy? Yeah, Bad Boy. Okay, there is a note on here about Denny Lane, which I wanted to read. Notably absent was longtime McCartney cohort Denny Lane, who had become distant from Paul following Japan, after which he had recorded a song called Japanese Tears, Mm -hmm. which chided McCartney for his mistakes and introduced a riff between the two, which would last till the following year. So they made up in 81 when when Danny came down for tug of war. It seems like when Denny recorded Japanese Tears, they weren't they were not close. Yeah, and then they kind of drifted apart again after Paul just went through the 80s. And then it was like, what's it like 2006 when they were photographed 2007, together? 2007, they were at a UB40 concert. They took a photo. <laughs> there is a rat in the kitchen. Oh, is that Denny? Oh, wicked, you know. <laughs> There's a whole bunch of like, you know, Denny Lane and like Mark Hudson, Ringo's ex-producer. These these like like old Beatle cohorts who don't collaborate with them anymore. They keep saying like, my best friend, they keep pinging the Beatles and on Instagram. My best friend, Ringo Starr, my best friend, Paul McCartney. So excited to see you. That email you sent me 15 years ago was amazing. I mean, I don't want to judge. I feel like I'd be doing that. I just lost the Mark Hudson interview. I was dying for it for a year. <laughs> no, uh, I'm after the David Kahn one now, the uh, Driving Rain producer. But I feel like if I do ever get him on, I'll mostly just be talking to him about Lily Allen because he produced all of Lily Allen stuff. And I love Lily Allen. I'll make sure to talk to him about that Beatles 64 track Rusty was going on about. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now, in this is a case where I need my guests to review the song first to prevent me from going off on a huge patented Paul or nothing rant. So please tell me your thoughts on private property. It's a nice opener to the album. It's big. It's got this big horn section. So this is an edit. I have the original version. It's five minutes. Okay. This one's Paul's mix was five minutes, but they cut it down to free 30 for the album. And of course of the single, but I think it's nice. It's a, it's a cool opener. With nice horns on it, very wings. But what are your thoughts? Okay. Okay. I'm getting ready. Okay. This is where I have to stop being a cordial host. I love you, man. I love talking to you, but I've got to speak my mind here. This song is awful. A-W-F-U-L. From start to finish, this is one of the greatest slogs I've ever had to sit through for the show. 
I mean, I, like, like I, even the interminable easy listening and disco covers of McCartney was more palatable than this. I mean, I knew Ringo was going to have a bit of a drop off after Rotogravier, but fuck me, this is bad. And I'm glad Paul didn't appear on the last two albums. I wish he hadn't have appeared on this one. Uh, the entire arrangement is like a parody of the bad Ringo years. We've got the boogie-woogie piano, obnoxious saxophone, bog-standard backing singers, a woefully out-of-place guitar solo, all held together with a generic Ringo drum beat. And there's no vocal melody here. I mean, I don't know if Paul's trying to avoid the Ringo vocal limitations, but he does it to the point whereby there are no vocals. It's just him going, private property. Like, it's, it, it's awful. It's so stale and unambitious. I challenge anyone out there to hum the melody to this song. It straight up can't be done. And then we've got even more controversial, problematic sexual politics here. You know, this is the run for your life of the Ringo discography. The idea that this woman is his private property. That's a that's a concept that was outdated 20 years before this song even came out. Oh. Again, she was cooler. Oh, I yeah, I do need to watch the cooler actually. I my Yeah, they mined this song with Barbara. <laughs> guard as Ringo's female prison, all female prison guard. And Ringo in the cooler. Right, right. That's a very interesting video. Oh, I still need to watch Caveman as well, just because I love old classic dinosaur movies. Just seeing Ringo going, ug, ug, rubug, bug, you know, all that nonsense language. Um, again, this could have been a comedic concept that's meant to send up those kind of opinions. It could be ironic, but the final product does not get that across at all. I don't know. McCartney's in the McCartney to tug of war era here, like the era of coming up and wanderlust. I mean, even something like Ebony and Ivory would have been oh, better I, here. I, I uh, that's a weird con- um, that's a weird way to contextualize this because I'm thinking this is like, how does this compare to tug of war, which is like an amazing album and has this? This is like the weird middle step because McCartney two is like crazy and weird and fun. And Tug of War is like this Beatles, George Martin, Imperial Bedroom thing. And this is the middle step, weird saxophony thing. I think it's all right, but I understand where you're coming from. I hope this wasn't in McCartney's back pocket. I hope this was something he dashed off in five minutes, because if this was something he genuinely put time into, then it is an embarrassment. Not for Ringo. Well, this isn't the biggest embarrassment we'll see today. No, but things are going to get better from this point onwards for this album. Look, I hope I have your attention. This is attention. Everybody needs attention. Everybody wants to smile. Everybody needs a mention. Attention. Attention for a while Come on baby
Well, we have a tape of this. This this is a tape you can play of the 23 second demo tape. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah, uh, I'm sure your fans will know this, but to all the poor or nothing listeners, cast your minds back to earlier this year. There was a Paul McCartney demo song that was apparently auctioned off the big bucks, and it was the demo for Attention, which features McCartney doing his patented awesome vocal percussion work, which I love. Oh, God. <laughs> absolutely dig that stuff um, the oh, best yeah. the, the best version of that is him doing uh, the silly love songs yeah that's the ones that speed of sound demos where he's like trying to go fast because that album was recorded so fast with Denny Lane on let him in those are nice demos the warm and beautiful demo the instrumental that's very nice What's that one where he's talking through a vocoder and he's like, happy birthday? Message to Joe. Message to Joe, yeah. Thank you. on the album. I think they were suggesting that. That was going to be in a medley with spooky weirdness. He was going to get that. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be the 12 track on Rotogravier. So Ringo got the extra 30 cents per album. Happy birthday, Joe. Yeah, very fun one. I think it was just like, Joe, I wrote you a song. Yeah. <laughs> It's, it's not quite Happy Birthday from uh, George Harrison, which is low-key one of my favourite George, uh, 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 Johnny's Birthday. It's Johnny's Birthday. Absolutely love that one. But yeah, uh, this, this tape was given to Howie Casey of Wings fame. One of my previous guests, uh, Owen Ling, actually was sat next to Howie Casey last night in Dublin for a, uh, for a concert, which is really cool. Uh, and the notes for the tape reveal that both uh, Linda McCartney and Howie's wife, Sheila, both perform backing vocals on the track. You know what? Let's just hear a quick snippet of that demo now. Everybody needs attention. Everybody wants to smile. Everybody needs a mention. Attention, attention for a while. Before we begin, is it a bit too morbid and reductionist to speculate that Paul wrote a second song for this album because John wasn't there to do so? Do you feel like Paul's putting in a bit more effort now? The record John's death. Oh, oh really? Oh wow, okay. John called Paul during these sessions and that's where they had that last conversation. No fucking way. Is that when they had their last talk? Yes, John phoned in when Paul was recording with Ringo. Egg on my face. Wow. Oh, my word. It wasn't a spiteful move. <laughs> Look, Paul, all I'm saying is that Paul was like Yoko's my private death. property. <laughs> Paul was like warning John Zeth. He's like, I'm going to record an extra. I'm going to write an extra song for Ringo because my best friend died. Ringo, I want you to Next do the song called Here Today. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, I mean, after this point, I guess then, that's when the collaborations for Brotherhood start start to come in. Like, at the moment, they're just kind of collaborating because they're artists and they've worked together before. But after this, that's when the nostalgia starts to become a big role in their collaboration, I guess. Okay, so now, sure to fall. Oh, but... oh no. Oh, sorry. Um, uh, I just want to quickly talk about the song itself. Um, oh. Anyway, on to the song itself... A nice um, little piano thing. Yeah, it's fun. I mean, maybe my standards were set so low by the last one 
that, it's better than private property that's for sure it is it is it's jaunty and fun uh it's you're right it's got that great piano riff it's got a very resplendent brass section it's almost like a cheesy kind of las vegas ringo song it's like a ballroom not like it's like something they would have maybe if broad street hadn't been as insane (laughs) oh i'm one time i watched broad street with a whole bunch of beetle bootleggers wow and the whole joke we were making the entire movie was there's somebody who looks like George in it. Oh, it's George. There's somebody who looks a little bit like Denny Lane who's got tapes. It must be Denny Lane. So mm-hmm. it's like, oh, it's George Harrison again. No. There's this guy who looks like John. So it's like, oh, it's John Lennon. There's definitely in jokes in Broad Street that we'll never be privy to. Yeah. That are it's very like almost like, I don't know, maybe a gotta sing, gotta dance type of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So many songs. These so many little like dance songs. He's got do you want to dance? Isn't don't you want to dance? Do you want to dance to the Beach Boys? Actually, he's got don't you want to dance? Attend. He's got these little a lot of these dancing songs. Mm-hmm. And uh, he did do do you want to dance? Seventy six demos where he's just like something about don't dance. you want to dance? Do, 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 do. Yeah, excellent yeah, your stuff. Your hot hit cold cuts episode on the seventy six demos was very interesting. Yes, there's so much. Oh, reverse oh love that one love that one that was in contention for speed of sound the double album version with message to gel again i've said it before folks i'll say it again the fact that holidays wasn't included on the wings of the speed of sound archive collection is such a horrible wings big of archive collection with seven bonus tracks 24 minutes of bonus audio it's like, come on, just chuck it on there. Oh, where little things you say and do. Ooh, that little Linda. Ooh, it's great stuff. Uh, you also get great Linda and Sheila backing vocals on uh, attention as well. You know, this is just something that is, it's a little brighter, a little more up tempo. It's something that Ringo would actually sing. You know, that's why it works a lot better, I feel. But yeah. On to Sure to Fall now. This is a Carl Perkins track written by Perkins, Bill Contrell, and Quinton Clanch, and was meant to be the follow-up to Blue Suede Shoes, but it didn't see official release till the dance album of Carl Perkins. Also re-releases Team Beat, the best of Carl Perkins, which the Beatles would have heard, uh, and was also a part of their early repertoire, including Live at the BBC. Let's take a quick listen to that one. Mm-hmm. 
Lucas, I've got to ask you honestly at this point, are you preferring Ringo covers or are you preferring the, you know, the originals at this point? At least in terms of the Paul stuff. Well, in terms of Paul's country, I mean, he doesn't really contribute that much on year 16. I think he probably heard the song and like did his little mouth horn solo while kind of listening to it. It was in one of those studio, like, they listen yeah. to what the man said thing, where they're like, the guy was warming up for Bluebird or whatever. There's always a guy warming up and doing the solo. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. It's time to do attention now. Let's go on to New Orleans. Yeah. <laughs> no, um, I think the covers have a more consistent hit right here. But um, yeah. Yeah. It's a Ringo country western infused track. It's hard not to be viewing this as something that, that could appear on basically any Ringo Starr album, but I don't mean that in a negative way. You know, this this also could have easily found a home on Buku Blues or Sentimental Journey. And, you know, I'm sure that for most people out there, it's got a positive, classico Ringo feel to it. Uh, but for me, this was easily one of the more generic, uh, inoffensively bland tracks yeah. that we're going to talk about here today. Problem but, with these... Except for like Gear 16, they're kind of like, they're a little just inoffensive, just kind of random, just like not random, but just little, little things. They're not like, you don't go specifically like to listen to them. They come on the end. I mean, I can't not sit here and not compliment the production and the arrangement. I do think that that's probably the, the high point of the song. Paul certainly knows how to do covers very well as we've seen throughout his career, you know, everything from, you know, Chobber onwards, Paul knows how to do a good cover and get the best out of these covers. It, you know, it reminds me a whole lot of things like One More Kiss or Sally G or even Denny Lane's Send Me The Heart. There's definitely uh, a kind of a Wings-esque sound to this one, clearly. Yeah, one of those little Paul McCartney country songs. But, you know, he hasn't done one. Mm -hmm. He seems to like wherever he wants to do a country song, he ends up going into more folky than country. Like he'll end up doing something like "Don't Let It Bring You Down" or "Country Dreamer" or "I Let It Bring You Down." I they need to hear a new remaster of that. That's such a good song. (laughs) The London town's got so many demos and stuff. Like Mm -hmm. you can hear on YouTube. The London Town Archive Collection's got to have so much stuff on it. It's got to have so much stuff. Oh, it's going to be. I'm waiting for, like, give me me, me free CDs. They should make archive collections more reasonably priced. I think the McCartney Archive Collection was, like, $30 when it came out or something. Really? And now it's it's $30. And now if he sold the same product, it'd be $150 if you're lucky. I mean, I'd like him just to re-release the archive collection so I can get them. Yeah, it's quite annoying. That but is. once you have, I've just got flame pie. That's it. Uh, I've got the two late '80s ones, mid to late, or like kind of late later '80s ones. Mm-hmm. So pipes of peace and flowers. The flowers one's my favorite. It just gets so much in it. Mm-hmm. But then also it's like so little because it's barely any return to Pepperland stuff. He recorded all demos and stuff. There's the folky version of figure eight of eight we don't have. No, um, most of it's, I mean, so much of the stuff around that period ends up on the Flaming Pie album as as well. Yeah. No So Long Blackie re-release. 
don't even know what that is. So I'm I'm looking that up right now. Oh, it's a medley with a song known as Mambo Me Baby. Oh, okay. I song that was Grand Entrance and also has a snippet of a demo called Praying Mantis from the 70s. Oh, Praying Mantis Heart, yeah. Okay, August 1988 at Root Studio was aired during the Ubujubu radio program in 1995. It's on Ubujubu Part 8. Oh my gosh, I have to find this out later. I've got even more homework, folks. But yeah, on to a song that I'm genuinely excited to talk about. I'm really excited to talk about this song. The song title is just great advice in general. This is You Can't You Can't You Can't Fight Lightning. You can't.
Final song that McLean has evolved with for Stoppers by the Roses, and rather delightfully, it was written by Ringo. Apparently, he and Barbara were nearly struck by lightning in a storm, and the whole thing was originally going to be called You Can't Fight Lightning, uh, but there were some disagreements with CBS, which meant he had, um, and then uh, the US distributors for Star's label uh, Portrait, meaning that Star had to leave the album and sign with RCA. This change led to the song being dropped and now being renamed. And it was just going to be a cold cut, existing only as a bonus track on the CD version in 1994. And then he re-records it for Give More Love. Yeah. A lot, a lot of Ringo re-recordings. Ringo, like, sometimes Ringo, like, doesn't record, like, records barely even 10 songs right now. He recorded 18 songs for Give More Love. Hmm. That's so cool. 17 songs, like, he did... The album, there's four remake bonus tracks or whatever. And there's this song called Now the Time Has Come, which is like some sort of peace anthem, which is like a all-star celebrity single or whatever, which he did. There's two versions of that. And there's a song called Hey, Wouldn't You Hold It Down, which is like a tribute song. Mm-hmm. He records so many songs to that album. Uh, it's always great to see, to see Ringo working, especially since now we're only going to be getting EPs. I know, a Change the World EP. What was that about? <laughs> Let's change the world! Uh, what I love about Ringo's ongoing career is that the, the, the music videos have gotten cheaper and cheaper. Oh, and I have cheaper. raw green screen footage for uh, Zoom In sessions. I have raw Zoom In green screen footage. <laughs> How'd you get that? Was that, was that just leaked at one point? That was not leaked, but like Ringo has his behind the scenes videos. And he'd like cut in some parts of it. And you get, there's some parts where it's just the green. You can see the green. And it's like, cause he recorded, must record like 50 seconds of just like, and he got it in like, and there's like a whole bunch of like video parts of it and stuff. And I don't know. Oh my God. I need to see that. I need to see that. Lucas, this song really surprised me. So I'm eager to hear your thoughts first. This, this song should have been on the final album, right? It should have been. It, it need. It need. It should have been on that album. It should have replaced something. It's that good. It's like a nice. It's almost like if Ringo could go like hard psychedelic, mm-hmm. like stoner rock type of thing. It's like very like. It's heavy for Ringo, and yeah. I think it's. It's a very neat track, and it's kind of sad it didn't get on the album because it's like it's got a very interesting group behind it. Ringo's on guitar. Barbara's on maracas. 
Paul's like playing the floor or something. It's like the weirdest group of people on the session. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. This is the runaway victor in terms of new songs that you've introduced to me for this episode. It's unlike anything else in the Ringo discography that I've ever heard. And that alone is cause for excitement for me. But not only that, it's the most atmospheric, esoteric, dark, and interesting one that we're probably going to be talking about. Paul's on drums. Paul's on drums. He's on drums and bass. Oh, wow. It's like a weird version of the Nurk twins going on here. Oh, that, 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 that swampy tone with that relentless bass and that piano just slogging along with that heave. I, you're right, it's, it's, it's delightfully heavy. And um, it's, you know, it's not that bright showtime, family-friendly Ringo. It's just a dirty jam where the session players get to do something a little more enigmatic. This is like, an edit, too. Yeah, is there a longer one? It's 10 minutes long, usually. <gasps> oh, We don't have the 10-minute one, but we have the six-minute one. Okay. Hang on. How long was the one I listened to on YouTube? Six, probably. Five minutes forty-two. Yeah, yeah around that, around that time. Oh, yeah, dude, I really enjoyed this one. I love the the kind of lounge lizard esque sax. Yeah. There's the uh, a great electric and acoustic guitar come in. Yeah, and then the lyrics draw you in with this very hypnotic effect. Like it almost becomes a, a mantra. You know, the lyrics are just. I said you can't fight lightning. I said you can't find lightning. Whatever you do. Here it, here it comes again. Like here oh. it comes when he when he goes into it. Here it comes a banana with the guitar. That's great. You should pull that out live. Can we get that? That's like a sound check song right there. He just drills in the idea of like your powerlessness against the might of nature. I guess that's the kind of you know idea of the song. And by the end, it just. It, you know, for each listener, it's either going to lose it, its meaning entirely or like become the most profound stonery thing of like, you know, dude, you can't fight lightning. No way. <laughs> yeah. It's got more spooky weirdness than the song Spooky Weirdness. And then you've got like all this like pagan-esque hooting and hollering at the end. And he even adds like storm sound effects to the song as well, that just adds a great sense of tangible ambiance. It feels like as if lightning could strike at any moment in the song, and he struck lightning in a bottle with it, and it makes no sense why it's not on the final album. doesn't make sense at all. It was also like, uh, I believe Neil Bogart may have canned it too, because he was kind of, he had whatever, what was the record label? Boardwalk Records, which mm -hmm. the sound was released on stateside. And he was kind of trying to live like a, you know, a carefree life. And he wanted to stop and smell the roses, you know, not the can't, not the dark can't fight lightning, but the cover, I mean, they should have still used the can't fight lightning cover. That's a great album cover. <laughs> Ringo with lightning coming out his ears. Yeah, that's great. Barbara on, on the floor. I mean, oh. And then they used this this little this mug shot of him with the roses. Yeah, it's so it's so cheesy. And the fact that Paul had already done Red Rose Speedway, and then you got Ringo doing Stop and Smell the Roses, it kind of feels a little derivative. Too bad Paul didn't write any Red Rose Speedway ballads for this. Yes. Ringo, I want you to I want you to do When the Night. 
when the night, when the night was beautiful and mellow. Yeah. If this had been on the actual album, you know, I'm not saying it would have got to number one or anything, but it would, it would have carried a lot more favour, especially with Chris. It would have at least gotten a bit more critical. Mm, you know, may, maybe broken the top 40, you know, let's let's not go you know, crazy here. I would have my brain, an amazing pop nugget produced by George. Mm. Was it written by George or just produced by him? Written by George, produced by George. It's got George's like ELO style vocals on it, where he kind of has the vocoder. You know, his message to Joe inspired vocals. Has Ringo done Rack My Brain live much? No, nothing from Stop Smell the Roses live. Really? He's never done Rack My nothing Brain. Nothing from Old Wave. Nothing from. So, change, he, doesn't, he isn't doing anything from Change the World live now. But there is like in his YouTube video, there's five seconds of them jumping in to change the world. You hear a little five seconds of the intro. And like they were rehearsing it, but they didn't do it. At least do like rock around the clock, you know? <laughs> I'm gonna take a cover of Johnny Be Good from Ringo. We're down in Louisiana, then we do all these. He's probably gonna record it. Just and wait. The yeah, I might do it. Not this next EP. It was supposed to come out this March, but. Guess it was delayed. Oh shit! Is there meant to be another one? That's interesting. Maybe there, meant to be another, there was meant to be another one. I heard from Ringo's producer and a collaborator of his that there was supposed to be a new EP last March, and there was going to be a box set for Christmas time. But things fall through. Mm. Maybe um, it might be something nice to announce maybe once the second half of the tour starts, once things get back going, or maybe at the end of the tour. Who knows? Well, actually, Rundle only only releases music every other year now. Which isn't the worst thing ever. I mean, you don't have to put something out every year. You don't have to do that. Well, we like to do one release every other year. So I thought we'd get the EP in 2021, then not get anything until 2023. But he stretched into that second EP. You can tell he did not want to do a second EP. Mm-hmm. Oh, poor Ringo. I mean, yeah. he's got enough enough collaborators, though, that he can you know, stretch it. He can stretch it across multiple. I watched the Doc Shop Live Ringo when he announced Change the World, like on like the QVC program. And all the recordings stopped at a point, but Ringo had a zoom error at the end. And I got a screen recording of a couple seconds of it. Right. But that's not on YouTube or anywhere. He was like, uh, how do I exit the meeting? Can you help me exit the meeting? <laughs> what is this? What did I click on? And like he had the assistant come up and, ex- and exit him out the meeting. That's great. Oh, that's so cool. You don't you don't see that when McCartney's talking to Chris Rock over Zoom. That's so funny. Or are you doing his Instagram lives for free imagined? Yes. Um when he did that, when he chatted to everyone on that album. Oh, dude, we're coming up to Glastonbury. I really hope Paul does women and wives with St. Vincent live. Or was St. Vincent gonna do be at Glastonbury? She is. She's at Glastonbury. She's touring the the UK this this, this, is this month. opportunity. He needs to do it. He's going to be like, I'm pouring out deep cut tonight. And then I'm going to deep cut tonight since school women are Starts playing the opening notes of Blackbird. <laughs> yeah. It's, hey, Jude. 
It's for the Wings fans. No, that will never not annoy me. This is for the Wings fans. He plays a fucking Ram track. It's like, oh, God. Paul, why do you think... This is, for the, this is for the Wings fans. Don't keep coming back to love off of off the ground. Oh, <laughs> uh, but then again, you know, No More Lonely Nights is on Wingspan for some reason. He's got a very loose definition of what Wingspan is. No Values is a kind of Wings song. I have the Wings version of it. That's It's rough. Is there a Wings version? Yes. But like the only good, the only part that's better than the studio version is that like he really screams the first line. It really, he really puts like a heartfelt thing into the first line, and then it just goes like, "Oh, use." It's like a jam. It's like those mm. ten-minute versions of "Take It Away," where it's just Steve Harvey. No values, nineteen seventy-nine. Ooh, yeah. Gonna, gonna. Huggins Hall rehearsals. I asked Lauren Schuber about that when I talked to him about the Huggins Hall. Mm-hmm. Where the, where they were practicing uh, with with a little luck and all and all that during that time. No, I think that was when they were like doing tug of war songs. Oh, I could have sworn they were they were practicing with a little luck for Japan and then yeah, they were doing that for Japan. But Puggins Hall was after Japan. It was that weird time. Oh, that's when Puggins Hall was still kind of there. But Paul was like he had already done McCartney too at that point. He was done. Yeah, it was over. Did Linda like say to Steve Holly, I'm out the band, I want out the band or whatever? That's probably something I heard from your podcast. The sensationalist words of McCartney. Prefer not such a bad boy. That's the real standout from that. There's stuff. two more "Stop and Smell the Roses" outtakes that we have to talk about. Two. Oh, really? Uh, I'm not sure what they Let's are. Start with love. Should we go into "Love's Full Glory," which we don't have to oh, talk about? That. Yeah, I'll be doing a Wide Prairie album review very soon. Yeah. So, but yeah, but yeah, Ringo's on the track. It's from the sessions. It's there. But now we have a more interesting Paul Ringo collaboration. Which I don't think we I can put in the notes. Paul and Ringo are both on all those years ago. I'm shouting all about love. Well, they cheated you like a dog. I'm 
that true? Yeah. Is that true? That's not from those sessions. That's from George's Stop and Smell the Roses sessions. Because the backing track is just the Stop and Smell the Roses Ringo version. Mm. Okay. And George's George wiped Ringo's vocals and rewrote the song about John and put his vocals on Get Paul on. So they're technically on the same track, but it's like it's like a free as a bird almost situation. Yes. Oh, it's like it, uh, eras. It says Denny Lane's on it as well. That's interesting. Yeah, Denny Lane. There's a photo from that session. Mm. George Martin kind of helped out too. And you got you, you've got Ray Cooper, of course, Phil McDonald. Yeah, he was producing a lot of George stuff in that era. Whenever I watch uh, the All Things Must Pass movie, oh no, sorry, the Living in the Material World movie, there's that heartbreaking Ray Cooper bit at the start. Goes to talk about him, it's just too painful. Like, oh god, I'm sorry, Ray. Yeah, it's uh, very very emotional stuff. I know it's it's you probably get very emotional when he talks about producing Gontropo. <laughs> the inspiration for Egypt Station. Yeah, the album cover is so similar, and it's got the worst version of Circles on it ever. Oh, it's compared to the Beatles Isha Isha demos one. It's uh, chalk and cheese. It really is. But yeah, let's move on to the first run of McCartney songs that feature Ringo, rather than Ringo songs that feature McCartney. And starting us off now, we have the hit album Tug of War and the song Take It Away. Club Sandwich, Paulson sent that. I actually did not know until I started researching this episode. Very interesting indeed. He said, There were a couple of songs that we ended up recording which Ringo asked me to write at a certain period. I was writing some songs for Ringo, and Take It Away was in amongst those songs. I actually thought it would suit me better the way it went into the chorus and stuff. I didn't think it was very Ringo. That's very revealing for me. Actually. Well, what I think is that Paul realized. Paul was writing private property and stuff, and he's like, Oh, I wrote a I take it away, I wrote this song. Oh, it's really good. I'll keep it for myself. Yeah, that's literally yeah, it. That is one of my favorite 80s Paul songs, just a classic. Mm-hmm. I mean, it'd be great to hear a Ringo version of this. It, you know, I wish there was a recorded. recorded. No. We have the tape, we have the session tape for the Paul stuff, mm-hmm. and then we'll record the five things. So. Everyone, we have the tapes. Yeah. And the guy who stole the tapes looks like Denny Lane. <laughs> yeah. Wanna hear you play till the lights come down, down, down. Yeah. I don't think Ringo would have been able to do the middle eight. You know, the lonely driver, late in the bar. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if he'd be able to do that stuff as well. I don't know if he can really reach that high. Oh, da-da-da. Yeah. You know about uh, Storm, going back to cinema, doing a song called Stormy Weather, which was cut from the album. Oh, okay. The only re- it's the only reason that was cut from the album is because Ringo has a horrible voice crack in the fade. Oh, uh, I'd like to hear the crack. Oh, all the time. 
just just re-record it go on I think they could have just faded out like a couple stanzas or a couple lines earlier Mm -hmm. and they could have included it no but I mean Ringo cracks on um, with a little help from my from my friends at one point and you know they just well that's the Beatles yeah you know you can just you can get away with stuff like that I guess I think it's hard it's like hard because like the best solo songs like people think they can't compare to Beatles songs like what maybe I'm amazed that's not as good as Little Child off of with the Beatles <laughs> it's like the Beatles is like another bar over like the greatest of solo stuff which isn't fair at all I think you know la dee da's better than Don't Pass Me By I'll say it right now I'll say it right here right <laughs> nice. now it's nice actually I'm going to grab my CD of la dee da <gasps> grabbing your CD of la dee da folks I didn't even know there was such a thing would it be worth releasing? Probably not. Look, I realize I need some reinforcement. <laughs> oh no, he's got like eight CDs in his hands now, folks. Yes. This is not this is not all of them, but I'll I'll save those for later. I can grab my pipe of the piece. I'll I will not borrow the pipe of the piece. <laughs> to be fair. Like, box that's like too big to grab. It's got yeah, so, so bad. The way the drums from Ringo, he's drumming. Um, how do you know what's his drumming? And what's Steve Gadd's drumming, though? That's, it's, it's interesting that there's two... I don't... It, you have to look at the notes on the album, I think. I do not know, because they're pretty... And sometimes it's double drumming. Mm-hmm. I mean, how do you think Ringo felt not being the only drummer on this track? You know what I mean? There's got to be a weird feeling for him there, you know? Well, he double drums on everything. There's double drumming on the Ringo album, double drumming on Rotogravier. He's always drumming with somebody. It's like a confidence booster. He's mm. double drumming live. It's probably yes. fine for him. Is it is it Jim Keltner on the Ringo album? Yeah. You know, on those Mark Hudson era albums, though, Ringo is the only drummer. That's interesting. Didn't know that. Yeah, and those are really good at drum albums. The way they're mixed, the drums are always front and center, which is nice. Oh, okay. Love to hear them. Weird that one of rock and roll's greatest drummers needed a confidence booster, though. That's 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 that that's a shame, but you know okay. his legacy as a drummer hasn't really been fully appreciated until yeah quite recently. You know, pe- people like Dave Grohl really giving a great shout out. Well, Dave Grohl double drums too, at least double drums for a time with Taylor Hawkins. Ooh, whenever Dave, whenever Dave Grohl's not on stage, whenever don't, don't like the other food fighters have stuff sing the songs they sing. Like Dave Grohl goes up on drums with Taylor Hawkins. I think that happens sometimes. Of course, we've already discussed a lot of the these era songs. So we're not going to spend too long chatting about them. So what, what, what do we have next? Oh, we we go on to Pipes of Peace, and the is song really is on ballroom dancing, or is that on Broad Street? Is he on ballroom dancing? Let's quickly go on the Paul McCartney project. Ball yeah, Paul room. McCartney project, best friend. Yeah, it's it it's it's just the best website ever. It really is. Uh, Ringo Starr on drums. Oh yeah, Ringo Starr's on the drums on ballroom dancing as well. But put ten ten points to Lucas there. Ten points. <laughs> I had to grab this, the greatest CD packaging of all time. Sorry, sorry for the people. I mean, if you're on Patreon, you get to see this packaging. Yeah. But. What? How much is your Patreon? You gotta, you, gotta, you plug. Yeah, no. Some people pay a dollar. Some people pay five. A couple people pay twenty dollars just because they're very you nice. Your name. They say he says your name. 
It's a good deal. You get the bricks and then check out the inner sleeve. Bricks, bricks, little stars in the bricks. Then check us out. This is cool packaging. Change the world. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Ringy. You got the inner sleeve, though. Oh, Ringy. Maybe just a, br- a spread of bricks. That's so lazy. Then you get lyrics, but there's bricks on them. This man just loves his bricks. Yeah, he's just another brick in the wall. He really is. But it's the same type of mugshot thing from Stanislaw well, the Roses. It is actually. <laughs> he's got more hair on on Change the World than Stanislaw well, the Roses somehow. Forty years later. <laughs> okay, pipes of peace. Yeah. So 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 we have we have, we have, we have ballroom dancing, and then on pipes of peace we have so bad. Great song. Yeah. Interesting drumming. It's interesting that Ringo would do the drumming on so bad one year and then like one or two years later would redo the same drumming for the same song again, but he wouldn't redo. So bad music videos great when they're all like have their backs we showers and they're looking up and stuff. And yeah, that's directed by Paul. 80s Paul songs. Wonderful side closer on Pepsi of Peace. <laughs> yeah, it's very, it's very hard for it's underrated, I think. I think it's one of his best. Of the 80s, it maybe not. Yeah, there didn't seem to be much, um, there wasn't as much hype around Ringo appearing on Pipes of Peace as Tug of War because he was just on the last album, I think. Yeah, just I, I, I guess the novelty of such a pairing doesn't some of the songs in the same session and like yeah. Keep Undercover was recorded like right after Ballroom Dancing or something. Mm-hmm. Like Denny Lane's done half that album. He's just hanging out. That's why the stuff's on Wingspan. Mm, that, that makes sense. That makes sense. Then we come to the Broad Street Sessions. songs that Ringo appears on according to the Pullman Country Project anyway is Be Wanderlust So Bad Not Such a Bad Boy and No Values yeah and Not Such a Bad Boy No Values from the what was that session where they're in like a garage warehouse and and Steve Lukifer is there Ringo's future fan mate and also the guy who got COVID no no offense (laughs) still love Tappy and Michelle tell me about Ringo's new EP He's not such a bad boy, but he he also has no values. <laughs> At all. Ringo's great in that movie, though. I love it during the Eleanor's Dream yeah. sequence where he's dressed up in all Victorian. That dress. was all. I feel like that scene is Paul. It's too much indulgence. I was like, I want to be in 1900s Victorian Europe. 
Yeah, I, I love it. I love the whole... I'll be rowing a boat across a stream. Then we're going to go over the edge. <laughs> yeah. I, I've, I've always had a soft spot for Eleanor's Dream. I really have. I think it's... Uh, nice. We'll bring a bass and drum on it, though. Yeah. There's um, not even a single drum in that song. Yeah, there's not a lot of bingo on that one. So we will instead move to Angel in Disguise, uh, a song that isn't even yes. a song. My name is Richie, they've been looking to your eyes. Don't be afraid, I'm just an angel in disguise. I see into the future, you won't have to wait. I can fit you in. I can see you now. I can see you now. And I promise you, I've never seen a better looking woman before. Yeah, I promise you, I've never seen a better looking woman. Promise you, I've never seen a better looking woman. Promise me, you've never met an angel in disguise. This is a song that was co-written by McCartney and Ringo Starr that was never released. It was meant for Ringo's album from 1992 called Time Takes Time, which is a terrible album title. I was going to say a terrible album. Sorry? Yeah, that, that's his best album, Time Takes Time. Really? That's my favorite from him. That and Vertical Man are pretty much tied. They're better than the Ringo album. I know that um, it, uh, Time Takes Time did get a lot of critical uh, appraisal, even though it didn't sell. Jellyfish are on it. It's a very good album. Hmm. Oh, you talk about Ringo being... Didn't we talk about Ringo not knowing the right songs to choose his albums or whatever? He was choosing the wrong songs. Okay, is that is that a, a yeah, common so trope? Yeah, so Nelly wrote five songs for Ringo. Time takes time. I've talked with uh, Roger Manning of Jellyfish about this, mm. and they wrote some really good. They wrote a really good song for him called "Long Time Ago." A lot of good stuff they wrote, and they but Ringo chose like "I Don't Believe You," which is like a safe like Rubber Soul era song, like a Beatles for Sale track. A Beatles 64 track to quote Rusty. <laughs> Rusty. But uh yeah, this would this would have been the first Ringo McCartney collab, or at least since like Flying, which is one that they're all or like whatever. Dig it. <laughs> With the compositional input on Dig It. Now, it's not like we haven't heard any of this song. Um but all we really have is the demo that was uh, leaked. A one minute of demo. Yeah, and it, it's it, it's made it's done the rounds on like Sirius XM and stuff on like Beatle networks and stuff. When speaking about the song in Beatle Fan Magazine in 1992, Ringo stated the following: "You see, they expected that because it's McCartney and Star that anyone in the right world would put it on, but it just didn't fit the space that we needed on the album." This is my best shot, in my opinion, of my best album. And then in 2020, the cassette tape of uh, two versions of Angel in Disguise was auctioned. One's a rough mix with vocals from Will McCartney. Another is one with Ringo Starr vocals. I don't think we've heard that version, have we? heard the Ringo version. And there's also Everyone Wins. It's just on that cassette for some reason. We have that. Hmm. Okay. I'm out of take. And uh, the, the cassette tape was actually owned by... Radio Luxembourg DJ Tony Prince um, at the time in the 90s. Turn on Luxy. <laughs> Put it on Luxy. Yeah, great little uh, Den- Denny Lane song that is. Apparently they wanted different artists to record the song after Ringo Starr rejected it, though 
imagine recording a song that Ringo rejected. Like I don't, I don't know, I, I don't know how much street cred you get for that. He's probably trying to like shop it around to like like rappers or something. It's got a bit of a rap beat to it. It's weird. Yeah, it's very. What if he put it on off the ground? That would have been weird. No, but I mean, if you're not going to include "When Winter Comes" on "Off the Ground," you're not including "Angels in Disguise." I mean, that's... I think the "When Winter Comes" Great Day Calico Skies. I think they just missed the boat for "Off the Ground" by a little bit, and he wanted "Off the Ground" to be his band album. Yeah. We're all hanging out. Blair Cunningham's on the drums, got the bass, got the harmonies. Mm-hmm. You know, totally. I guess "Angel in Disguise" is like the carnival of light of uh, of solo Ringo in many ways. We have not the whole thing though. A whole thing. Well, the real Carnival of Light of Ringo is a, is a song called "Fox on Football" <laughs> from the Vertical Man sessions, right? Which may or may not have evolved into the song "I Was Walking." Okay, it's in copyright. It was registered for. It was. It was a copyright registry from 1998. Interesting. Yeah. Onto the song itself, this is Maka doing a clearly non-serious throwaway tune for his friend. Again, like Paul's doing Flowers in the Dirt around this time. Off the Ground was coming up as well. He's at the height of his powers, and yeah, he just dashes off another forgettable kind of nothing of a song. At least it seems more suitable for Ringo's range and style, but maybe Ringo was right not to include it on the album. Though the only point of note for me really is that the lyrics contain the phrase "My name is Richie" rather than Ringo. Also, there's like weird, like Christian imagery, like "Don't be afraid, I'm an angel in disguise." Because of course, yeah. when, you know, whenever an angel appears in the Bible, the first thing they always say is "Don't be afraid." But then, you know, this doesn't make the song more interesting. Just the trivia surrounding it, I guess. Weird song. Next up, we have all of the Flaming Pie stuff. We have Really Love You, Beautiful Night, and Looking For You. Tonight, CD single. Of course, this uh, Flaming Pie first press, and then the double CD. It's weird that the, the, the trap closing is printed on the steel. That's so weird. <laughs> What's up with that? Ugh. I only bought this because I didn't want to spend $150 in the archive. What's your favorite out of these three? What's your go to Flaming Pie era bingo song? 
I mean, well, beautiful night's beautiful night. <laughs> but I like looking for you more, and I like uh, really love you. Yeah, look of you is probably the song that should have gone on the final album, and really love you should have been the bonus one. That sounds too much like used to be bad. It's another blues jam. Mm-hmm. Baby Paul was just really into the blues in the nineties. Used to be bad, but I don't use bad no more. But just Paul's uh, vocal. That's the weakest track on Flaming Pie. It's like he made this really good album, then he put some blues jams on it because he needed fourteen songs. Yeah, to fill up the modern CDs. Yeah. Well, no, because he wanted the fourteen song Beatles thing. Oh right. 14 songs. That's the, yeah. But it doesn't work when you're releasing like six minutes, seven minute long. You could have switched out the outtakes. I mean you could have put broomstick in for used to be bad. Because broomstick were nice. Broomsticks are okay. It's alright. Another jam. Yeah, I don't honestly, with looking for you, I just I just love Paul's vocal on it. And it's getting Big that creamy vocal. Yeah, it's got like a gay be able to do those screaming vocals for that much longer. Yeah. Looking for you, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that gated reverb and that yeah. echo. Love that shit. Really love you. Gated reverb. Maybe just like that, like, echo pedal thing. Hmm. Bit of a gated reverb would like... <laughs> really love you. Kind of just very forgettable. Um, but Beautiful Night... The moment Ringo comes in at the end there with, with the code. It's six o'clock. It reminds me of six o'clock. Mm. There's no better example of Beatle nostalgia, I'd say. I think it's the best example of it. Yeah. And there is like video, it's like there's a whole of these nineties European street kids are like jamming out and mm. Ringo's just like there. And Linda's in the telephone booth and it's a weird video. And then they go into like then the protagonist, the boy, the girl go into like the lake at the end and it's like shining and <laughs> I don't know what Paul was up to with that video. It seemed like it was more more that Broad Street era Paul ideas. All right, folks, after the stint of McCartney songs that I've already recently covered on Paul and I think go back and check out those episodes passing, uh, we have some more Ringo material, this time from the 1997 album Vertical Man, a.k.a. Yeah, it's like his flaming pie. It's his attempt to capitalise off the success of the anthology. The first a little track, late. Sorry? A little late. It was just, late. Yeah. 98. Yeah, could have come out yeah, probably a year earlier, but hey. It was going to come out in 97, but they had some, like, the label that he was going to put it out on went out of business. Oh, wow. That's a, that's a bit of an issue. got <laughs> a promo CD on the old label, and then it just, the label went out of business. Oh, yeah, 1998, yeah. No, I'm sorry, I said 1997 earlier. You are entirely correct. Oh, Ringo did a VH1 Storytellers. Ah, I've got to listen to that. The video, there's no, the VHS tape of Storytellers is kind of rare. It's hard to find. With our friends in the community, I was walking, don't pass me back. There's a lot of good songs on this, actually. Oh. I mean, he does like half the songs from Vertical Man. So yeah, we're going to talk about what in the world, and it sounds a bit like this. I remembered it all That magical moment I'll never forget We started to fall Higher and higher 
What in the dot 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 world ellipses? So yeah, on December 29th, 1997, Ringo, along with engineer Jeff Emmerich and producer Mark Hudson, headed over to McCartney's home studio at Hog Hill Mill to work out uh, the album. They worked on three songs from this period. There was the one we're talking about now, La Di Da and I Was Walking. McCartney's uh, bass track for What in the Dot 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 World replaced the placeholder bass track from the previous July session. And upon hearing the playback of the track, McCartney apparently remarked, Woo, Rich, sounds kind of Beatle-ish. To which Rich uh, replied, I know, that's what I said to Mark months ago. McCartney now looking at Star Todd and, You are a fucking Beatle. But yes, some nice... Uh, post-anthology McCartney love there. I've got a quote on word Vertical Man by Ringo. Yeah. It's a amazing eight-word quote from Ringo. Life is life. This was just a record. <laughs> That's great. Printed here on the inner sleeve. Life is life. This was just a record. <laughs> a little weird-looking star. Yeah, that's that's not the proper story. art is amazing. I, this one doesn't have the booklet because the one the booklet's like in a display. Okay. It's got like the art is like a whole bunch of random like old internet like MS Paint art. Yeah, Ringo was doing Paint MS Paint, Paint art. Like, Ringo, like a whole bunch of other people, like Mark Hudson did a whole bunch of it, but it's all weird. It's like Ringo's face over like pasted over like a '90s girl group or whatever and stuff like that. <laughs> Oh, I need to check that out as well. It seems like every solo Beatle fan is a strong supporter of whatever they chose to do after the post-anthology period. And so, I mean, obviously you like Time Takes Time, so would you even say that Vertical Man's a return to form, or is it just a second good I mean, album in a row? I never return to form for Ringo. Mm. Because oh, Time Takes Time's all right, but that was more of a put-together in the studio record. This was him working with a fan. Right, and it was like this was this really begins like the Ringo era that kind of is continuing on now, but kind of stopped after Liverpool Eight, mm-hmm. which is a train wreck of an album. Liverpool Eight, like if there's any album you want to listen to by Ringo, do not listen to Liverpool Eight. Like half the songs, like he got Dave Stewart from Eurythmics to remix it after Mark Hudson and Ringo had their falling out. Right. So Dave was like, I don't like any of these backing vocals. I'm going to put old radio sound effects on all of them. What? Oh so God. half the songs are, there's a, ba- there's a nice sounding backing track on the left. And on the right, it's in like this 78 RPM sounding thing and like robot backing vocals. Wow. It's weird. Gary Burr, who was playing with Fringo during that time, said that the original mix downs were so good and he was so like unhappy of how it turned out. Oh, I've got even more homework. I definitely... (laughs) Liverpool 8, uh, exclusive reusable USB wristbands. uh, The wristband. I need to get my hands on a wristband. It contains the entire album. Video message from Ringo Starr. (laughs) Behind the scenes interview with Ringo, two brand new ringtones and a track by track commentary. Oh my God. Oh, that sounds awesome. I know. Oh, that's hilarious. But yeah, on to what in the world. What in the we did we just did what in the world. Oh no, we haven't really talked about the song itself. I mean, 
I've got to say, this song was way heavier and aggressive and up tempo than I was ever expecting. Drum breaks, there's like heavy drum breaks in it. Yeah, and just the whole the whole thing's got like a chug to it. Comes thundering in, and this should have been the opening single, not La Di Da, in my opinion. I think people would have had a I much. Think the opening single should have been without understanding. Okay, I don't think I've heard that one. That would have been like just you've heard the whole album, right? Oh, I've heard most of it. You're like, oh, you were telling me today, I love Vertical, man. You haven't heard the whole album? I haven't heard the whole album. I've got to listen to bits. The understanding is like this. It starts off with an opera singer, then it goes into like the psychedelic drum groove. It, it would shock radio people. It would make them want to play it. It's got Brian Wilson doing like harmonies on it. Okay, that's cool. It's like a crazy song, but I think that would be a nice like opening single just to like I, I basically copied that from like a podcast where they were talking about without understanding like, this is the single. I mean when the vocals first come in in the song I thought they were going to be disappointingly mellow but then when the chorus comes in it's yeah. legitimately catchy it's got a hard edge to it he does mm-hmm. sound like reinvigorated yeah. on this album he comes out rocking mm-hmm. this first album in six years and you can tell. Also, the promo, they keep saying first album in eight years. Hmm. Maybe they're just disregarding the last one. Who knows? But they did. He bring, but after Time Takes Time, Ringo hadn't done an album for nine years. Really? So what's the 1990 album they're talking about? It's just weird time. Also, we just got talking about where Ringo's eyes go away, by the way. Oh, he's just, it's always with the glasses now from this point. So you're like here glasses but on the inner sleeve you get to see his eyes for the last time oh the classic kind of downer sad ringo eyes those doe eyes the backing vocals from paul in this uh certainly have a beatles-esque magic to it there's a lot of gushing shameless nostalgia which i'm not against at all i don't think paul is paul isn't the heavy force in the backing vocals here it's mostly mark hudson mm-hmm. doing the back vocals but you can hear paul at some points during the chorus of course yeah there's a really cool ah at one point that paul does in the pre-chorus that's a nice little fun addition and uh you know i love the bass line there's a proper groove to it as well it's funny that you know around this time the hardest rocking track that paul mccartney did in this period was on vertical man not on flaming pie because there aren't really many heavy rock tunes yeah, what rockers were on Flaming Pie? Oh, I'm, I was going to look at the track listing, but of course. Yeah, the pie itself. <laughs> no track listing. Yeah, it's all just on the... Yeah, on the world tonight is not a rocker. Yeah, Flaming Pie is a piano, like, that's dumb. No, it's no rockers on Flaming Pie. Yeah, the world tonight is as close as you get with that kind of... Now I can see the world tonight. But yeah, There's let... A- Okay, I have something to say. These are archive question booklets where they're stapled in are my worst enemy. Why do they have to staple in the booklet? Can you just give me a little booklet in like a little folder? There must be people out, out there complaining that they lose the booklet, so you can't lose the booklet, I guess, maybe. You can't lose the booklet, but sometimes the booklet may like, might break off or something because it's just hanging on mm-hmm. here. And sometimes with those kind of things, they staple them in so tight that you can't like open them fully and then they get torn and shit like that. But yeah, let's uh, press on. We're nearly, we're, we're nearly there. We're going to press to play. We're on the second song on Vertical Man and we have La Di Da. 
live my life It's only right Cause I can live your life for you I'm satisfied Feeling high Cause I found out just what to do Oh, you can bet I never let the things I get get the best of me When I get blue, here's what I do, and so can you It is no mystery when you sing La, la-dee-da This was recorded on the 20th of July at What in the What the Studios. That's before. Mark Hudson with the what. And he always he's talking about what in the. <laughs> I think he's the one who put the dots in what in the world. Right. Okay. He was about the what in the what the. And he had like a, some sort of thing called what the. He just loves this what. He loves that word. He's weird. <laughs> it's his mantra. But the, the coolest thing about this song, and it reflects what Ringer called as the revolving door policy of the Vertical Man album, is that loads of people... Vertical are called, Man, you get to be on LIDA. Sorry? Sorry, that again? If you go on Vertical Man, they'd get you on LIDA. Oh, yeah, yeah. If you walked by, yeah, totally. On backing vocals on this song, I'm going to try and do this in one breath now. Oh. <laughs> Stephen Tyler, Tommy Harrison, Tina Stern, Tatiana von Furtenberg, Stuart Lerner, Steve Greenberg, Scott Gordon, Scott Brown, Sally Parks, Ronnie Bacall, Phil Leivitt, Niels Lofgren, uh, Michael Gurley, Lee Starkey, Marjorie Rufus Isaacs, Keith Allison, Kay Harrison, Joe Kalo, Kylo, Jim Cush, Cushionary, Jennifer Silver, Gene Schmidt, James Barber, Gabriella. Paglia, Eric Greedy, Eric Gardner, Elizabeth Parks, Doug Figer, Dawn Honey, Daniel Lanau, Lanos, Christopher Grakal, Bruce Grakal, Blake Brown, and Astrid Barber. I definitely took a few cheeky breaths there. That's a lot of backing vocalists, none of which, oh yeah, and, and, and Paul McCann, <laughs> none of which you can really make out at all. But yeah, this is, in true classic Paul and nothing fashion, this is one of those songs that I feel has more interesting trivia than value as a song itself. How would you describe this song? What are your thoughts? It's a sing-along, it's a, it's a hit, it's a single. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a hit. I don't know if you can call it a hit. It hit it's like a, it's, top, it's top, top 75, was it? Something like that? Yeah, I mean, if it was on Billboard. Yeah, it's a hit, technically. Just with the singles. Uh, I don't know. If, uh, I don't. I don't think "Find My Way" charted at all. He gets. He gets number one albums, but yep, singles. No, but that, that doesn't really count. Like the singles is where it's at, because that's where the actual streaming comes in. Yeah. Now, uh, he had a number one in the nineties, but since "Hope of Deliverance." Kind of trailing off. I hope the deliverance wasn't number one, was it? I don't believe it was. In, in like a lot of countries. Oh yeah, in like Germany. 
that's cool because it's an off the ground song that was a number one look as we all know as Beatles podcasters the only countries that matter are the UK and America because that's all that ever gets written about it's uh it's the state of the of Beatles media sadly but um yeah I'm, I'm sure this made it like number 63 or something like yeah got the single here that's cool the la da single got the album version 541 okay it runs 550 but the album version itself is 541 so it has an extra 9 seconds that's an extended version that's a remix there's a quote here that I didn't see when I was researching before Uh, Ringo uh, on, on the choice of remaking Love Me Do he said I've always loved that song I didn't get to play on the first one in 62 I'll show the bastards (laughs) <laughs> he did get he played on the one that wasn't for the, the one for the album yeah the one that still was. on tambourine on the Andy White and drums version too mm. uh, la-di-da how did that do I'm guessing 63 I think that was pretty close Way of the World was 74 okay uh, doesn't show the single charts uh, the album itself made to 61 and number 85 in the UK only selling just more than 2,000 copies. Ooh. Oh, Indeed. dear. Yeah. That's a shame. The song itself, though, I don't mean to come across as immediately negative. I just kind of feel like this one let me down a little. I really enjoyed the first track that we just discussed. I was kind of hoping that that energy and that grit would be carried over here, and it just wasn't. You know, the contrast is very drastic. I feel like it's kind of like yeah. two steps forward, one step back. And it did cement in my mind the notion that Ringo will always go back to these kind of songs. You know, that kind of goofy classic Ringo feel. It's shamelessly upbeat. It's got the positive. I've got charts. Yeah. Oh, oh, go on, go on. Number 63. Yes! I knew I got it right. I knew I did. Um, Way of the World did go to 74. Oh, okay. I think Liverpool 8 went to 99. Yep, I'm correct. 99. God damn. These Beatles fans here, kids, you know. Oh, wow. Here's some nights went to 85 in Belgium. Belgium! Go on, Belgians. Yes, lads. He had a number one in 2009 because he was in part, he was part of the official BBC Children in Need medley. He was <laughs> on backing vocals. So technically is a number one. That's interesting. Something that Ringo does in La Di Da is one of my big pet peeves. You know when like a bad movie references a good movie, or you've got a bad movie with the good movie's poster in the background, like Nightmare on Elm Street. Did he reference the Beatles or something? No, he references K Sera Sera. Uh, well, he lines of rhymes of La Di Da. Yeah, but so don't don't remind me of a better song in the middle of your mediocre song. I feel like it's a it's it's a real no no. It's a real... It's a no-no song. It's a no-no song. Don't ever do that. Um, Rather hilariously as well, in the video for this song, Ringo is spinning an umbrella, which is shockingly similar to McCartney's uh, first version of the World Tonight music video, which also has him spinning an umbrella. They even did two versions of the music videos back then. Yeah. Everything had two versions. Yeah. (laughs) That's so funny. Just... Balls will spin an umbrella. George, can you spin the umbrella for me? Um, George is non-la-di-da. 
George isn't the online only, either. Only guy from the vertical men session is not online either. Oh, is uh, is the stuff was sending by mail? Is George on this album at all then? He's on King of Broken Hearts and I'll Be Fine Everywhere. I'll Be Fine Anywhere. He did side guitar solos on both of them. Oh, okay. That's cool. He did all the Beatles together again. Yeah, Ringo could always pull everyone together. He was that kind of guy. Um, now, without me sounding like a complete idiot, am I the only one that cannot make out McCartney at all on this track? Are there other like, versions of this? In the chorus, he goes, you can hear it. Oh, okay. Okay. Look, I don't have an ear for this sort of thing, but when I've got a Beatle on another Beatles track, I want it in your face. I want it really obvious okay. that these guys so we are collaborating. The song. Sorry? We skipped the song that Paul's on. Which one? I was walking. Oh, no. That's my next one in the notes. Don't worry. And... With our next song, we're going to conclude our trio of Vertical Man tunes. This one's called I Was Walking. I was walking, I was talking. I was talking to myself last night I was dancing, yeah I was dancing I was dancing by myself last night My occupation is syncopation And when I hit it, well it saves my life Yeah, annoyingly on the Paul McCartney project, there are no notes on the Vertical Man stuff. But uh, I don't have my booklet with me because this is the one about the booklet. But I'll go off my knowledge. This is my like. This is like a theory of mine, but I think this is I. This is Fox on football. Right. The same syllables in Fox on football are in I Was Walking. Okay. And it's the only song that shares the same group of co-writers. That's interesting. So I think that is a placeholder name. But Yeah, yeah. because it says here on the Wikipedia that sometimes has a riff taken from uh, Crying from Roger Bravier as well. So, yeah, Ringo's not opposed to borrowing stuff from his previous albums and kind of well, I, don't think that was, I think that was just a, uh, like an early title for the song oh okay okay yeah but, um, they need copyright registries what's interesting about this song for me though is that you have Steven Tyler of Aerosmith doing the harmonica for this song yeah. as well as some backing vocals yeah it's it's weird though because you know Aerosmith had a huge comeback resurgence in the early 90s right the way through to the early 2000s yeah I don't know. I kind of feel like maybe Steve Tyler would have a lead vocal on this album. It was cut the last minute. Oh, really? Who's going to have a lead vocal? Away, there's a version, I have it, of him doing the second verse. Oh, wow. He's done, he's done like harmonica or whatever and does scat singing at the end of Drift Away, but he's on there. So, like, because him and Mark Hudson are best friends. Oh, okay. That's really cool. Yeah. Oh, 
Because Mark Hudson wrote Living on the Edge, which is his claim to fame. He wrote Living on the Edge? Oh my gosh, I'm learning so much today. Well, he, co- he wrote the first verses, but it's like a John Lennon thing. There's a whole bunch of interviews where he talks about it. Stephen Tyler was screaming, saying, John Lennon's in the room. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. <laughs> the song was inspired by the 1992 LA riots. Okay, fair Anyway, on to the song itself. Where, where where do you rank this amongst the three Vertical Man tunes we've spoken about? Chuck Chief Paul's not on the best songs on Vertical Man. He's not, like, hanging out. He's not on, like, that great of songs. But this is all right. He didn't, like... It's a nice little rocking tune. Hmm. For me, it's kind of in between the two that we've just spoken about. It's got the kind of same heavy arrangement and enthusiastic energy from What in the World. Nice harmonies. Yes. But the overall melody and vocal performance from Ringo is the same kind of formulaic, retro, uninventiveness that we've seen a lot. I would say that La Dida, as kind of flawed as it is, is still more memorable than this. You know, still as an album track for this period, it's totally serviceable. And I don't think I'd find myself skipping it. It's still got that vertical man sound that I really do enjoy. There's also one fun segment where he kind of just goes buck wild with like these sound effects and you get these like Python-esque uh, goon yeah. show silly vocals. And they even mentioned six o'clock, which is a great little nod, which yeah, definitely enjoyed that. Yeah, I think that's Mark Hudson again with his little crazy stuff he likes to throw in the songs and is i'm surprised you didn't call the album what the and then some dots get some dots in there it's weird though that the female backing vocalist is far more prominent and noticeable than paul's like again this is another one where if i didn't know that paul female was... backing vocalist don't quote me on this is that might be alanis morstat what the fuck? Oh my gosh. Let's go. On back. Drift Away, the, on the song Drift Away, which Steven Tyler was slated to appear on, Atlantis Morissette does the third verse. Yes, she does. Fucking hell. Atlantis Morissette. Okay, so, so so she could be on that as well. Oh, George, uh, George Martin does the string arrangement on the final track on I'm, I'm, on yours, I'm yours. Yeah. But yeah, she's way more prominent in this track than Paul is. Like, if you didn't tell me that Paul was in this song, I wouldn't have guessed it. He, I think he plays bass or something. Uh, let's go on Paul McCartney Project. I was walking. Man, he, he may just be on backing vocals. I don't know if he's on it. Yeah, was it on. says Paul McCartney backing vocals. And then uh doesn't even say. Uh, and then uh, Mark Hudson was on bass. Uh, yeah, Mark Hudson's always in the bass. Now, let's get on to another song with Walk in the title as we skip over a decade of content to... Is there nothing for that decade? I guess there is nothing. Yeah, strange, We have Walk With You. Oh, my. 
vocal and the chorus they were decided as a duet which would make the first ever duet between the two of them uh, it was not originally conceived as a collaboration with McCartney who was only going to appear on Peace Stream uh, when speaking about this chance appearance in 2009 Ringo said Paul was doing the Grammys so he came over to the house and was playing bass on Peace Stream so I played him this other track Walk With You and Paul said give me the headphones give me a pair of cans and he went to the mic and just invented that part where he follows on my vocal. That was all Paul McCartney, and there could be nothing better. He makes it bigger and makes it fuller. He makes the song like a conversation between us, and that was Paul's idea to put his one beat behind me. That's why he's a genius and an incredible bass player. Dude, rather than me wanting to hear your thoughts because I'm about to savage a song, I want to hear your thoughts because, shockingly, I'm, I'm about to praise the fuck out of it. Uh, please tell me about Walk With You. It's a Ringo Van Dyke Parks collaboration. Their collaboration is always fun. <laughs> but yeah, Paul, I mean, Paul comes in with that. It's very sweet, you know, when you think about all the history between these two guys and stuff. And now that they're all like 70. Mm-hmm. It's a nice song. Why not on an album, though, as an album? This is the serious step down for Ringo. Oh, okay. You have all this vertical man, Ringo Rama, all these like great albums, and then there's just a big step down. And you get like Why Not and Ringo 2012. And this is when he starts doing 10 songs an album. Okay, so there's even less effort. It goes from 12, 13 songs to 10. That's where the enthusiasm kind of drops. And now we have four or five per EP. <laughs> yeah. Five if we're lucky. I've got to say, this song kind of turned things around for me. You know, the last two songs were kind of meh, and then suddenly I come across this, and I was full of wonderful Beatles nostalgia again. I was actually feeling emotions. You know, a latter era Ringo Starr song actually made me feel something. I'm as surprised as you are. Um, the vocal from Paul is exactly what I want from a McCartney backing vocal on a Ringo record. Uh, you know, it almost feels like he's going to do it right this time around and have McCartney f- feature prominently on a, on a track. And, you know, you're right. You can't ignore the fact that a lot of the power of this song is generated from the fact that Paul and Will are both old men by this point. Uh, you know, they've been working for over 40 years. And, you know, you can't not get emotional when, when they start singing about that history. I mean, it could have been about Barbara or generic love song figure, but... The moment it becomes a duet between the two of them, the meaning's been 100% changed. And now it's about the passage of time and how friendships grow and change and the importance of choosing the best people to quote-unquote walk with you. 
And it's even more emotional when you consider the fact that John and George aren't there to walk with them. Yeah, this is another song for me that proves that McCartney, at least in this latter period, is better as a collaborator than someone just to write songs for him. Okay. Okay, a bit of comedy here. So there's an there's a Paul McCartney live album where Ringo's on every song. What? He's on Amoeba Gig. Oh, what? I did, okay, I actually haven't gotten up to the doing. crowd. So oh. That means every time there's a clap, that's Ringo on hand claps. <laughs> oh my gosh. He was clapping. Ringo's in the crowd at the Amoeba Gig. I did not know this. I can Google this, but I remember him. I think they called him up to play and he didn't do it. Millions of people were not luckier than the few hundred rubbing elbows of the likes of Ringo Starr and Woody Harrelson during the Once in a Lifetime in-store set. Yeah, Ringo was he there. Was the, he was at the Amoeba gig. Yeah. I don't know if I see him in this crowd shot. There's a crowd shot of the Amoeba gig, but he's sure in there somewhere. Wouldn't it be funny if he didn't stay for the whole show? <laughs> I really don't like Only Mama Knows. I don't like that one. Uh, <laughs> Paul, stop playing House of Wax. Stop playing Nod Your Head. That was an amazing show. You do Sea Moon and House of Wax in the same show. Also, like Paul doing Matchbox instead of Ringo is quite stop funny as Flaming well. Pie. Uh, memory Almost Full or all this stuff. Well, he doesn't need to do Calico Skies. <laughs> Maybe in the yeah, first. Calico Skies. Calico Skies again, folks. Babyface, yeah, it's it's the opener on side B on the album, on the record. Uh, Calico Skies, there we are. Yeah, yeah. No Wicks on the Amy Big Ink though, so no Ringo Wicks collab. But <laughs> <laughs> we've been waiting. Everyone's been waiting with bated breath, definitely. Next up, we have Peace Dream. Oh my god! Yeah, another bass one. This song sounds like something that Lennon might have written for Richie in the mid-70s, but it's actually written by Gary White and Gary Nicholson, the two Garys, uh, one of his many collaborators. And I'm running out of new ways to ask you to defend these Ringo songs, so I'm just going to say... I haven't heard Peace Dream in a long time. Yeah. It's just like, the one, time I, the one thing I remember from it is he name-drops John Lennon. Yes, so folks... Like John Lennon said in Amsterdam from his bed. Yeah. Um, he also keeps saying, can you imagine, in the song. Yeah, yeah. So try to imagine, if we give peace a chance, all the world could be living in harmony. And just like John Lennon said, in Amsterdam from his bed, one day the world will wake up and see the reality. <laughs> yeah, this might be some of the worst lyrics that we've encountered today. I mean... Not only is the title the most trite derivative ringer thing we could ever have come up with, but the whole peace and love thing's kind of been done to death. It's also something that it's John Ringo's fault. He didn't write Peace Dream. Oh yeah, no, but he, he didn't write he's a writing credit on it. No, but he chose to still sing it, and it's like, come on. Oh, he has the writing credit on every song on why not? That's nice. Oh, okay. So we still get a bit of cash from that. Yeah. It, it 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 just sounds like a spin on like number nine dream. Like just it just feels like he's aping John unnecessarily. The, the the song's generic enough as a Ringo peace and love pastiche, but when you have lines like that, yeah, it's a bit like Lardy Da. Ringo should not be reminding us of a better singer songwriter, and the whole thing just becomes impossible to take seriously. I mean, 
think of the songs that Paul or George wrote about either John or the Beatles and then compare it to this. And, you know, it's just it's chalk and cheese, isn't it? Like, it? It is unfair to compare Richie to the other lads, but I don't even know why he selected this one as being appropriate or even bothered with the attempt. Songs. He had to write 10 songs. He's like, oh, this is a song. It's a song. It'll go on the album. It'll, Paul McCartney's uh, on it. It just annoyed me. It, it really annoyed me. Then we're going to move forward to the 2017 album, Give More Love. I don't own. Oh, we don't own Give More Love. Interesting. We have a gap. I, do not, I, don't, I don't need Give More Love. I don't know on that. It's got the rocking one. Yes. Speed of Sound. That's just some sort of rocker. That's just a Wings album name. Yeah, um, there's there's lots of remakes on this one as well. You've got a remake of Back Off Boogaloo, Don't Pass Me Ride, You Can't Fight Lightning, which we talked about earlier, and, and Photograph. But That's the, song, the remakes EP that he has tacked on to the end. The song we're talking about, though, is called We're On The Road Again. Such a live song. It's like we're playing live. We're on the road again. You know, we're definitely in the modern Ringo era with this kind of song. And like, is this up your alley or are you signing? Photograph. Oh, really? Telling stories, having a laugh, singing my song, Photograph. Oh, oh no! What an awful lyric! I didn't even pick up on that. I was mostly just just listening to the two of the rhythm, I guess. In this era, are you starting to check out? and look back at the good old days, or is this is this still up your alley? Okay, I think I, I think really after Liverpool late, it's like Ringo, I don't need to hear this anymore. It's a bit on autopilot now. Yeah, but like there's some good tracks, like on Ringo 2012, there's a song called Samba. Hmm. Some sort of like Van Dyke Parks, like kaleidoscope music, it's interesting. I don't mind Those the- Some all right songs. But give more love. I mean, he, he was gonna write, he was gonna do a country album. He went oh. with the guy who remixed Liverpool Eight to like Nashville, and they were gonna do a country. And they're like, no, let's just leave. And like two songs from the country album made it to give more love. I think they're doing a proper country album again. That could be interesting. With originals. Oh no way! Goose Blues is originals. Yes. Well, I guess not really originals because Ringo doesn't have co-writing credit on half the song from the Boo. Except for like Nashville Jam, which he's got a credit on because he plays drums. Um, with this one, with We're on the Road Again, I feel like it kind of had some of that vertical man energy, kind of bopping along to the rhythm, enjoying the fast pace of the track. Like, after all these ballads, I'm just glad that Ringo's doing a proper rocker. 
and for what it's worth it was somewhat enjoyable though I think a lot of that is down to the fact that after a while Ringo just stops singing and lets his tight far more talented set of backing musicians just take over and do the song properly there's also a lot of screaming in it about halfway through Ringo said I didn't ask Paul or the others on the song to scream they just did like Paul Edgar Winter and Joe Walsh at the end they all went off and rocked real rock and roll and screams just go together and then we come to Paul's inclusion or lack of inclusion once again I'm asking myself why Ringo isn't allowing Paul to have more prominent vocals on any of these tracks I mean all I really heard was one of the shouts about three minutes in that was distinctively Paul and that's it like at the end where it's yeah there's this little shouting thing there, there was a nice little bass flourish as well that I did quite enjoy. It's not like a bass solo or anything, but it's just a bit of a... <laughs> yeah, and you just know it's Paul. It just sounds totally macker. Do you think it's Ringer asking for Paul to be lower in these mixes? Or is it, is it his collaborators and producers making sure that Ringo's in the spotlight, perhaps? Well, this is the Paul McCartney album. It's the Ringo Starr album. I know, I know, but... What's the, what, what's the point in bringing in Paul if you're not going to do do something what if, worth what it? What if on uh, Pipes of Peace you couldn't hear Paul's vocal on so bad? You could just hear... No, but like, think about how prominent Ringo is on Beautiful Night, for example. You know, Ringo's definitely a presence there and he's and he's the thing you're listening to. You know, he's, he's the best part at the end of that song. Yeah, well, I guess it's just the, whoever mixed this, Bruce Sugar who I've talked to. Okay. So he's like, I mean, but I guess he just doesn't want, he wants to make sure Ringo's there. Yeah. It took him 10 years to be Ringo's producer, by the way. He started working, it took him 15 years. He started working at Ringo in 2003. Took him 16 years to be known as producer. What, so was he just doing like like engineering work and stuff like that? Yeah, well, because Ringo didn't didn't want to have another producer after Mark Hudson. Because he didn't like their thing and so it took uh what's what uh i forget his name bruce sugar like 16 years to be ringo's producer bloody hell that's dedication there's a, a funny quote about the uh the give more love sessions that i just wanted to read out wow oh so this is from bruce sugar actually I think Paul was initially taken aback by what lucas wrote it's a little more sophisticated than some stuff ringo's done in the past I think Paul was looking at it and listening to it. He doesn't read charts. He has his own notation. I've brought that up to Ringo. I can't believe Paul doesn't read charts. He goes, we're all buskers. They just played all by ear. Um, would you say that the material on Give More Love is more sophisticated than what Ringo had done before? Okay. Is Give More Love more sophisticated than Postcards from Paradise? I mean, I guess, but... If you go back to like the Mark Hudson stuff, it's not as much, it's not as sophisticated as that. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess what I mean, sophisticated. Yeah, it's very weird. To, it's not like he's like doing some sort of like suit, like he's in a suit, like singing some sort of ballad. Not that type of sophisticated. It's not like a, some sort of Dean Martin album. Well, it's still a rock and roll album. With the next song, it does get a little fancier, I guess. Uh, with Show Me the Way. Show Me the Way. Show me the way. 
Show me the way to go home from Jaws. You know, as as we've seen when 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 Richie gets pulled down, he's always on for at least two songs, never just one. And for me, this song is a prime example of how latter era Ringo is totally just being propped up by the deft musicianship of other players. I know that's probably a, 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 again a quite a trite point, but Ringo does not offer me anything in this slow tempo ballad, but. I did rather like that rolling piano and keyboard, like dueling melody. That is quite angelic and peaceful in its own way. Then you get that soaring guitar you get towards the end of the song. But unlike We're on the Road Again, that slower tempo just just brings the track to a complete halt for me. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the players can only do so much to mask it's the fact that Ringo just isn't... Paul McCartney on bass here, but you, can you, it's barely, you can barely even hear him. Yeah. There's only so much you can do to mask that Ringo isn't really good at this shtick, or at least anymore. I mean, you kind of can hear the bass on this. It's not completely buried. And whilst it's not the most complex or revolutionary bass line, at least you can tell that it is Paul. He gets to do those kind of McCartneyisms and flexes again, just to let you know it's him. But, you know, I don't really have much to say outside of it's Ringo letting Paul be Paul. When speaking about these sessions, uh, Ringo said in the track-by-track preview, I really wanted Paul to play bass on this track because it's an important track to me because of the expression to Barbara. And Paul said, yes, for me, it's still the most melodic, incredible bass... For me, he's still the most melodic, incredible bass player. Paul plays every note great. And yes, we we have some history and chemistry that also comes into play. I'd love someone with a big, great voice like Celine Dion to sing this song because I love it and it's important to me. But until then, I'll have to do... Oh, God, imagine this on the Titanic soundtrack. The ship would sing even quicker, wouldn't it? Oh, my word. Yeah. Ringo... I love you, man. You're an idol, but... This is definitely the most boring song we've come to. Arguably one of the most boring songs, yeah. Easily. And then we come to another faux Beatle reunion for the 2019 album. What's my name? So this came from Jack Douglas uh, showing Ringo the Bermuda tapes, the kind of leftover songs that were worked on during the anthology projects. Douglas was the producer on the Double Fancy album for Lennon. Of course, Ringo would have been aware of Free as a Bird, Real Love, as well as Now and Then. But Ringo hadn't heard of Grow Old With Me. God bless our love 
said, Jack asked if I ever heard the Bermuda tapes, John's demos from that time, and I'd heard none of all this. The idea that John was talking to me in that time before he died, well, I'm an emotional person and I just love this song. I sang it the best I could. I do well when I do well up when I'm thinking of John this deeply, and I've done my best. We've done our best. The other good thing is, is that Paul really wanted to play bass on it, and he said yes. So Paul came over and played bass and sings a little bit on it with me. So John's on it in a way, I'm on it, and Paul's on it. It's not a publicity stunt. This is just what I wanted. And the strings that Jack had arranged for us, if you really listen, they do one line from Here Comes the Sun. So in, so in a way, it's all four of us. Does this one the, hit you? Here Comes the Sun thing is weird. Yeah, I didn't even notice that. I listened to it a few times. I didn't notice that. Yeah. I heard it when it came out, I did not hear the Here Comes the Sun. Does this one hit you right in the feels? Are you nostalgic and teary-eyed? Or is this one a bit like Paul I mean, duetting with John on the latest tour, just a kind of gimmick? gimmicky kind of song. I think if they had put if they'd actually gotten the tape and they had put John up to it I mm. think that would have been better. Yeah. Uh, but it's still heartfelt it's still it's a nice rendition and it's it's nice. Yeah. It's, you, it's definitely a lot better than Peace Dream in terms of Lennon tributes. Um, I, you know again kind of found it inoffensive and so-so but it did kind of shock me how boring the composition was. And so I went back and listened to the Lennon original. And yeah, immediately, even with the demo quality production, the fact that it's being sung by Lennon. Yeah, it's very sweet. Yeah, with that simple piano accompaniment allows the strength of the melody and the song itself to shine. Overall, I know that this is the best that an older Ringo could have done. But again, I question his decision making. Why has he done this? Why is he bothered to approach such an obviously Lennon-esque song? The vocals are totally outside of his comfort zone. And I kind of wish he hadn't bothered. I mean, they probably thought he was going to have the same emotional currency as, like, Walk With You. But it's done so poorly that it just belies any of that. Again, like, the inclusion of Paul, of Paul playing bass here just feels like a publicity stunt in exact contrast to what Ringo said. At least Paul's bass is high up in the mix with this one. It felt very Beatle-esque, which was very enjoyable. But outside of that, this is a weird curiosity from the Ringo catalogue for me, I must admit. I think they should have gone all in and gotten the upper Beatles on it, I feel like, for real. (laughs) They should have gotten at least, like, George probably has a thousand slide guitar solos in the vault. They could have just given yeah. a, little bit, a little bit of that and then they could have synced it up to the demo and that would have been nice. Yeah, maybe get George or Giles on it as well. Well, George had passed by this time. Giles then, Giles. Yeah, just something to give it a bit more. Well, George recorded strings for Girl with me in the 90s. He did the Lennon Anthology version with the string arrangement and all that. Oh, they actually did work on it then during the anthology period. Oh, I mean the Lennon anthology. Oh, right. The Lennon anthology with the strings. Why did they use that? That would have been interesting. Yeah. They could have stayed along to that and they could have gotten just a little bit of that George in there. Oh, well. Look, finally, everyone, after an exhaustive exploration into Sir Stark and Sir McCartney, we have their latest recording together, which is... Here's to the nights. Mm-hmm. 
is to fall in on your face, getting back up and winning the race, is to taking it to extremes, never losing faith in our crazy dreams, is to having no Belgium. <laughs> this is the lead single off Ringo's 2020 EP, Zoom In, Zoom Out. Uh, the EP that he created during COVID and was meant you know, as a little pick-me-up for the fans who were stuck in lockdown. A lovely idea, maybe not that well executed. Another note on What's My Name. On the cover of What's My Name. I don't know if you can make this out. There's a stamp on Ringo's shirt. Yeah. That stamp is John Lennon. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. It's like the the John Lennon stamps that came out a few years ago. So John's on the cover. That's that's I think that's nicer than the song Grow On with me to be fair. Well I don't know. This is more of I feel like this is more of a peace dream. Well like John Lennon exists type yeah. thing. But yeah, with his to the Knights, Ringo's not the main selling point of the track. Uh, it's it's not the quality of the song or anything normal like that, but instead it's just guest stars. It's like it's like it's modern day Simpsons. It's just about the guest stars, and with a little more than help from his friends, we have the following backing vocalists: we have Paul McCartney, Dave Grohl, Joe Walsh, Jenny Lewis, Cheryl Crow, Lenny Kravitz, Chris Stapleton, Yola, Ben Harper, Phineas O'Connell, Eric Byrne, Corinne Bailey Ray, and. Phineas does someone, does someone just call Phineas is that the same person uh, from Billy Eilish <laughs> yeah uh, a whole lot of people singing on There's this one in common with Lonnie Donna yeah the backing vocals vocalists who are in common with that backing vocal group no oh, so it's a oh god it's a it's a reunion of one of my least Joe favorite Walsh songs yeah Joe Walsh is the uh, Josh and Paul are the two people um, I actually saw Corinne Bailey Ray a few years ago, actually, when I saw Stevie Woodford. Great singer, absolutely awesome. Uh, strange that she's on this track, I must admit. Lucas, this is the last song of the day and your last opportunity to change my mind on these latter-day Ringo songs, so please take it away with Here's to the Nights. What do you think? Here's to the Nights is a ballad, and it's like his New Year's song. It's like, this. The, here's the new year. And I know you like Paul's contributions being boosted in the mix mm-hmm. on the on the YouTube version. Yes, you mentioned video, this. Paul's vocals are boosted up a couple decibels during the chorus. You can really hear them. Yeah, uh, that's quite shocking to me because I still feel like even the YouTube version they're not high enough, and it makes me dread to think how loud they are in the final album version. I didn't even bother to, to uh, check that out. The, you only watch YouTube video? Yeah, I mean, once I saw Paul... That's insane. Like, isn't it like a crowd? At the end of the video, it's like a crowd scene. And there's like a, a big thing. It's just got a whole bunch of wrinkles like pointing around and stuff. But it, his little like guys are the audience. The audience are his little like whatever cardboard wooden men. 
the deal pool. Weird thing, yeah. You get pool. Like he did that. It seems like that was his idea. Yeah. You also get Paul in his studio with like a little rat. Yeah. For some reason. I don't know what that's like, about. Yeah. Some sort of clue to the upcoming Rupert Netflix documentary. <laughs> no, well, maybe it was a, a, a Bruce McMouse reference. Who knows? A reference to the archive collection that came out. It's an ad for Red Rose Speedway archive collection. <laughs> yeah, dude, I absolutely hated this. It had that distinct song that has been written feeling in the sense that you can tell that there wasn't much passion or an, an idea behind it. It's like that's just been workshop between Ringo and a collaborator. You know, they pick a topic and then they just pick the most obvious rhymes to get us through one end of the song to the other. There's no vocal melody, no instrumental I mean, melody. Collaborator to speak here of. is a pretty good collaborator, Diane Warren. Yeah, she yeah, she uh, she she brought in the song. It's not a good song though, I'm sorry, it's not a good collaboration. Uh, at least when McCartney's on autopilot, you still get some solid stuff, but this is true bottom of the barrel guck as far as I'm concerned. You haven't heard the worst of it. Yeah, I'm not I'm not even going to listen to to to, to the worst of it. I'm I'm happy enough here. I mean, for some reason, Lenny Kravitz and Cheryl Crow are far more prominent in this mix. Oh, yeah. Lenny Kravitz is like, yeah, this is the song thing. Yeah. I kind of feel like a lot of these McCartney inclusions are just to con McCartney fans into buying yeah. this stuff. Uh, oh, well, if McCartney's on it, I, oh, you know, I need a full collection. I've, I've got to buy Zoom in, Zoom out now. Just a theory. <laughs> I don't know. Bit cynical. <laughs> Too bad Paul wasn't on Change the World. Let's change the world, yeah. Woo! Rock around, rock around the clock. Go for it. Yeah, we're going to change the world. they got to change the packaging on the next EP. <laughs> I'm I think this would be a great, you could have had a great little shot of Ringo like coming out with the Change the World like in the wide. Mm-hmm. But no, had to, they had to show you what bricks were. They had to demonstrate. Must have, must have been nice and cheap for that one. Oh, the hype sticker on Change the World. No, I'm sorry. It's Change the World, the brand new EP from Ringo Starr features Let's Change the World and three more new songs. <laughs> $12 for four songs, everybody. Yeah, that's a... My name was $11 for 10. Wow, that's insane. What do you think? When you put it that way, when you put it that way, oh my gosh. But just let's do it on Spotify, everyone. Yeah. Right, everyone, we have done it. We have gone through every fucking single Paul McCartney and Ringo Starr collaboration. If you're watching this on Patreon right now, we are both stretching because we have both been sat still for so long. And this is the longest episode I've done with a guest in a while. So I'm a little bit rusty. But yeah, dude, thank you so much for coming on. This has been really fun, really been illuminating for me. Yeah, I've loved this. I've learned a lot about Ringo today. And I feel like I I need to check out his collection even less now. I think I've given it a good a good chance. Okay. I've li- <laughs> as, as someone who's listened to every Ringo album aside from Give More Love, you should check out Ringo Rama, Finish Vertical Man, check out Time Takes Time, and do and maybe listen to a couple songs off of Choose Love. All right. For you, I'll do it. For you, I'll, I'll at least it. Ringo Rama. That's a really good album. All right, I named the whole podcast after it. Yes, you did. To be fair, <laughs> so yeah, my photo is a stolen Ringo Star art picture with random text over it. 
dude, I, I stole temporary secretary for my theme music. I can't judge you. <laughs> my first theme music was like eye to eye by Ringo Starr, but I took out, like I muted the vocals. Like oh, I use okay. digital taking out vocals programs that are like that Giles Martin is going to use on our please please me box set. Hopefully. Mm. Gotta love that royalty free music folks. <laughs> but yeah, this has been our look at every single Paul McCartney and Ringo Starr collaboration. I've been Sam of Paul or Nothing. Uh, if you listen to Paul or Nothing, check me out next week with more content. If you're listening to this on Ringo Rama, thank you so much for having me on. Lucas, this has been great having a, a little chat with you. That wasn't so little. We've covered 50 plus years of content here. I'm sure this won't be the last of the Paul and Ringo collaborations. They'll probably do at least another couple. You should not have me on if you do remixes, those 80s 12-inch mixes. <laughs> yes, we'll definitely have to have... I own the tub-sub mix of Uile Soleil oh, in lossless. No, we're not, no, we're not doing any more now. This is it. I've done it. Yeah. I've, I've done the Ringo stuff. I've braved it. I really enjoyed... Vertical Man, I think uh, you can't find lightning. The three songs I listened to. Uh, I really like them, and you can't fight lightning was an absolute stunner for me. I still can't believe you own so much Ringo content. That is so. This is not my whole thing. I own like a copy of his live anthology from the Netherlands. It took three months to get here, but it returned itself. But it, but eBay was like, this hasn't been here for three months. It's lost. We're gonna refund you, and then it turns up, so it was free. I think I've had that with a, a couple of records before, actually. That's, that's yeah. pretty cool. Anyway, folks, this has been another episode of Paul or Nothing or Ringo Rama. Check out all of our links down below for each other's shows. I've been Sam. He's been Lucas. Peace and love. Peace and love. No more autographs. Change the no. world, everyone. I have too much to do. <laughs> One watch PD. Four songs. <laughs> that's so good. Okay, let's try it.